Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I thought he did a nice job. I think, you know, what he did in the spring, you know, learning the system and then carrying over it today, I thought he made some good plays. Obviously, we were down in there in the tight red zone, so we didn't have, like, deep balls or anything, but making the right decisions, making the right reads, he did a nice job. I don't know. I'm taking the first team reps right now. We're going to split it up. Um, you know, I think when I'm out there, I try to lead the offense the best I can. Uh, you know, so whether that's game one, whether that's in the fourth quarter, preseason two, I don't care. Whether it's out there at practice, I'm going to just try to lead the group I'm with as best as I can. You know, I was nervous. I felt like, you know, this was, you know, a game day for me. Uh, first time in a while, you know, no sleep last night, jitterbugs all morning. Um, I probably didn't truly feel like myself to at the individual. I was just so nervous. And then after that, it just felt like, you know, just right where I left off at, you know, just coming in and just being, being a leader for this team and just being able to just run around, hopefully make some plays. Oh, what's going on, everybody? I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison with you here. 93.5107.5, the fan. That sound. Shane Steichen on Anthony Richardson. I got Gardner Minshew. Had some really interesting things to say about Clay Richardson, as I call him. Clay that's going to be molded uh, but uh, on A. Rich. And also Shaq Leonard. I love that, Eddie, by the way. Talking about jitterbugs. I think I need to switch from butterflies to jiggerbugs. Jitterbugs is the better way to go, I feel like. It's got a little bit more pizzazz, but I don't... It's almost like saying y'all. You know what I mean? Like, if it doesn't feel authentic, I feel like, you know what? I haven't used that often. I like how it sounds, but it doesn't feel like I can pull it off the same way. But I like that he goes with jitterbugs instead of butterflies. I'm not much of a jitterbug guy myself. I hardly ever say butterflies. I I just say nerves. Like, I just get nervous or, you know, I'm nerves. just antsy to go, rearing to go. Like, it's kind of what I say. Uh, I'm not really a big y'all guy either. No, I'm not either, right? Like, uh, I remember um, uh, Michael Jordan used to say chill bumps instead of goosebumps, which I also like. I, I, but again, same thing. I haven't used chill bumps ever. And so I feel like if I just try to join, you know, midway through my life, well, who knows how long my life's going to be, but <laughs> I'm middle-aged, right? Like, I, I feel like I'm too late to the party there, but... Shout out to Shaq Leonard going with jitterbugs. I like that. Now, your boy Jim Ursay, Eddie, has Let's been go. busy. He has been busy. His Twitter thumbs are hard at work. And so he feels like he's got to chime in on this whole running back situation here. So he goes to Twitter last night and he just writes NFL running back situation. We have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise in good faith by both sides. To say that now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling bad faith. Man, there are layers on this one here, Eddie. Now, the first thing is this. My main takeaway is sometimes smart people do dumb things. Like, Jim Irsay is not a dumb guy. 
Jim Mercer has built a fortune. Jim Mercer has done many things that are smart throughout his life. And he has done many dumb things throughout his life, whether it's an action, whether it's, you know, substance abuse, that whole thing. Sometimes it's on Twitter. All of the leverage is on the side of the teams, of ownership, of organizations. And yet, he still wants a little bit more. Wants a little bit more. I don't know what score he has to settle with agents or some of the talking heads that are campaigning on behalf of the running backs getting more money in the NFL. I don't know what it is, what Axie has to grind, but this is just a stupid move. I'm going to just cut to the chase because you've got everything in your favor. You're not going back to the negotiating table to hammer out a new CBA or some sort of addendum to the CBA. That's not going to happen. So why address this and just come off like the big bad, I need everything, not just 95% in my favor. I need 100%. I might need 150 now that I think about it. That's how you come off. It's like these running backs, you just saw Saquon not get paid. You saw Tony Pollard not get paid. You saw the leading rusher last year, Josh Jacobs of the Raiders, not get paid. Not enough. Not enough. I got to settle a score with these agents who are negotiating in bad faith over here, selling something that's inappropriate. Really? Eddie, come on, man. This is just too much. It doesn't land well. How do you not know this is not going to land well? Uh, it's Jim Irsay. That's, well, uh, that's the way I can describe it. Like Jim Irsay is going to put out whatever you know he believes and whatever is on top of his mind that he wants to put out there. And I think it's just a worse situation here locally for Indianapolis because you have Jonathan Taylor's contract situation or whatever is going on between him and the Colts now because you've got his agent liking stuff all over social media about, oh, Jonathan Taylor's gone. Jonathan Taylor should be traded. Trade him to the Miami. Trade him to X team. So it's, I mean, this is going to just get absolutely ugly. And I, I don't know if this is in response to Chris Ballard and the front office putting Jonathan Taylor on pup when you had Jim Mercer go on Pat McAfee's show, I think three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and Pat asked him, he goes, hey, how's JT? And he goes, he's all clear. He's ready to go. He's healthy. And now he's on the pup list. So, I mean, there's just a lot going on behind the scenes. And when you put out a tweet like that, and when you – put together what Chris Ballard said on Tuesday. You could hear the kind of a little bit of hesitancy in Ballard's voice because he was talking about how he's comfortable with going into this season without an extension for Taylor. And then you see the tweet kind of reading through the tea leaves here. It's just like every other running back situation. Well, the thing at the end with Ursay's tweet talking about agents are selling bad faith. We need to look at that from a different point of view here. Because the franchise tag is designed to give teams a little bit more of a runway to negotiate in good faith. And when it comes to the running back position, that is not happening. So if Ursay puts it out there, some of these agents are selling bad faith. It's like, what's ownership doing? The franchise tag is designed to negotiate in good faith. Yet you're seeing running back after running back after running back not get a long-term extension and get slapped with the franchise tag. So you get one more year 
of labor out of these guys before you can pivot and don't have to shell out long-term money. Like, they're completely abusing the franchise tag as it relates to running backs. And you have to ask yourself, is that what's going to happen with JT? I mean, really. I keep on hearing about long-term extension. Oh, he's going to be long-term extension with the Colts. Why? I mean, really, what's keeping the Colts from looking at this and saying, well, he had a ton of carries in college. Uh, He got hurt uh, last year in the NFL, uh, maybe the franchise tag's the better way to go. I'm Right? Like So this idea of bad faith and Ursay looking sideways at agents, it's like, dude, really? Are you, you talk about the pot calling the kettle black when ownership is with the running back position, just absolutely abusing the franchise tag. That just, come on, man. Like, what what are we doing here at this point? I mean, like I've said time and time again, like when you look at the franchise tag, why would you pay a running back if you are a front office in in any of these front offices? Because the franchise tag is worth $10 million, so you can put the tag on them for about $10 million. You save about 3 to $4 million because most of these high top-tier backs are wanting $13 million to $18 million, so you're saving yourself anywhere from $3 million to $8 million. It's like... I don't get how running backs can get the money they desire because of the franchise tag. I hear you, Eddie, but here's the thing. What you just laid out, that's good business for the team. That's not good faith. That's the whole thing. Right. Right? Like, when he ends his tweet with talking about agents are selling bad faith, it's like, bro, what are teams doing when they're negotiating with running backs? Do you think that running backs are getting the return that they should be getting financially? For the production, like there's no way the pay is even close to the production of the top guys. No. And so, like, that's good business for the team. And I'm with you, Eddie. It's absolutely good business moves. And if the market dries up and teams can take advantage, well, that's a good business move for them. It's not good faith. So don't no. don't don't look sideways at agents and say bad faith when you're doing way more <laughs> like <laughs> around the league, right? Like it's like, dude, really I, I don't know how you I can be that blind when it comes to that. Yeah, and like the other part of Ursay's tweet about the negotiated CBA, it's like how many of the players that negotiated the last CBA are still in the NFL? Like, Because this is all about future players when they have to negotiate these things. And half the players, who knows, half may be too much, but I'd have to do more digging on it. But there's probably a good amount of players that are getting the contract extension that weren't even in the NFL yet when they negotiated the last CBA. So these players are just getting screwed over by the previous job of, of, of negotiations between the PA and the owners. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing, too, is can you imagine, like going back to Ursay's tweet and, and coupling it with what you just laid out there, Eddie, can you imagine if this whole running back situation was flip-flopped or, or, or something else was completely against NFL ownership? You know what I mean? Like... They'd be talking about the same things, like maybe we need to modify things, you know, maybe we need to tweak it here or there. Like this idea that Ursa is just banging the table, like, nope, we we negotiated a CBA in good faith. Well, that's an easy card to play when it's favoring you, (laughs) right? Like, and that's fine. That's the deal that the players signed, and I get that. But if the roles are reversed and ownership. It has the short straw. You know that they're squawking about, you know, maybe we need to look at this and we, right? 
Yeah. So this idea of, nope, nope, you signed up for it, you deal with it, they'd be singing the same tune if things didn't favor them. But on the ownership side, Eddie, they had the ability of foresight because they're not on the short end of the stick. The players are, and a lot of times they didn't foresee how it was going to end up in this spot where it is right now. Yeah, I agree. It was 2020, by the way, the last um, CBA negotiation. So you're looking about three years ago. Um, and you look at them adding the extra game and and you compare that or not compare that, but you connect that with the lack of pay at running back. It's like you're asking these guys to, you know, touch the ball, at least running the football, your top, your top of the tier running back. So your Austin Ecklers and Alvin Kamara's, Christian McCaffrey, so on and so forth. They're probably... Not not Eckler, but the rest of those guys are pushing 300-plus carries. And even like last year with Josh Jacobs, 400-plus touches. Yeah. And you hear Najee Harris talk about – or you see Najee Harris talk about how uh, the Giants mishandled the Saquon Barkley situation. I'm like, oh, buckle up, pal, because it's about to happen to you because you've had over 300 carries or touches so far in each of your first, what, three years now? Going on third year, I think. But – I don't know. It's just a really bad situation for running backs because the the owners want more games because it gets more money in their in their pockets and you're not wanting to pay a position in which has a lot of impact in game to game management because we can talk about just the running back position specifically. If you have a good running back, it helps alleviate the pressure off of the quarterback because you can do so many different things. You can do play action pass. Uh, you can if you have a mobile quarterback like the Colts do, it takes away an added element or. It adds a little bit more pressure to the defense to factor in for the running back, and it'll open up more holes like Jalen Hurts last year with the Philadelphia Eagles. So, I mean, the running back position can be valued. It's just dependent upon the ownership beliefs uh, and I think the head coach beliefs as well. Well, and that's the thing is um, if you go with what Najee Harris said, the Steelers running back. I thought he made a lot of great points. He's, of course, talking about this current situation with the top running backs not getting even close to top dollar. And he was saying the only time they choose to say it's devalued, meaning the running back position, is when it's time to pay the running back. It's not less valuable at all. They just don't want to pay the running back. And I think he makes a great point because – I've always argued it's devalued at the negotiating table. It's not devalued in terms of the amount of touches, in terms of the focus on a particular game plan. Like these dudes, you could do a side by side comparison here, Eddie. And you look at, I, I was going back to, I just picked a random year, 97. Because you always hear this, like the, the bell cow running back, right? Do we no longer have the bell cow running backs anymore? What does that really mean? Well, it's all about carries it's about touches are you seeing a significantly less uh, amount of touches now for the top running backs compared to the late 90s no no you still if you're looking at the top running backs they're still getting a ton of carries they're still getting a ton of touches Derrick Henry had 349 carries last year Josh Jacobs had 340 and so you start to compare going way back in the hot tub time machine, it's not just carries, it's also touches. It's how many catches did you have? How many times did you touch the football? And with the passing game being more prevalent this year, I think that's where stats can lie. Where if you just look at carries and say, oh, well, I mean, the the amount of carries are down. Well, the amount of touches might be very similar 
if they're a bigger bigger focus in the passing game like a guy like Austin Eckler is. So I just think it's a lot of myths. You know the store, the show Mythbusters? They need to do mm-hmm. a Mythbusters on the running back position because they make it sound like, oh, the bell cow running back is a thing of the past. They're making it sound like no running back has over 200 carries. And it's like three guys had over 300. Saquon had 295 just in terms of carries last season. So it is not nearly as night and day as it's made out to be to like the late 90s or previous eras. Yeah, you've got you've got eight guys that had over 250 carries. And like I look at Christian McCaffrey, for example, he had 244. He would have hit 250 if he was on the San Francisco 49ers the entire season. And he doesn't get traded in the middle of the year because when he first came in, he barely got any carries. So you got to factor in at least six more sprinkled in at some point. So he had 244. Ezekiel Elliott played 15 games. He had 230. Kenneth Walker played 15 games and he had 228. I would assume he would eclipse that 250 threshold uh, this season even though they drafted uh, Zach Charbonnet in the second round in Seattle. So, I mean, like you talked about, the work is still there. These guys are being utilized still as workhorse running backs. Yeah. It's just at the table when it comes to contract negotiations, it doesn't reflect it. And I don't know how you change it if you're an NFL player. If you're a running back, I don't know how you can change it because every running back has no leverage in any situation when it comes to a contract extension or signing a contract if they become a free agent. I know, man. It's it's rough. But like we can make all these points and do all these side-by-side comparisons. And I look at the amount of touches. We talked yesterday. I'm just looking at it right now, Eddie. We talked yesterday about Terrell Davis in 1997. That was the season he had a magnificent year. Broncos won a Super Bowl. He was a big part of that. And I just looked at Terrell Davis's 1997 season, 411 touches. That's a lot. Josh Jacobs last year, 393. Like, really? 18 touches? Like, is that supposed to be night and day between then and now? Like, it's just, a lot of this stuff is just make-believe. It's false facts. (laughs) It's just like false information. Uh, But we can make all these points, and it's really not going to make a whole lot of difference. The market is what it is right now. I don't see anything seismic changing that. You will see a lot of free agent running backs next season. You're talking about guys like Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry, or Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor will be up, right? Like, there's a lot of dudes uh, that will be free agents. So we'll see if there's a, a bigger than expected deal and maybe that helps the ripple effect. But it's not in a good spot right now, that's for sure. I'm Brian, though. He's Eddie Garrison, 93.5-1075, the fan. Nice catch. The the pause. I can pause, right? That's allowed. Indeed. Indeed okay. you can. As long as there's not a Garce, that's, that's uh, fine. Yep, yep. I work with a guy named Eddie Garcia. And so every now and then I accidentally say that instead of Eddie Garrison. So I'm doing my best. The over-under for the week is set at three and a half by you, Eddie. I am at two right now. Yep. So I get one more mulligan. I'm hoping for a clean sheet from here on out. But let's get to Shaq Leonard because you heard from him at the top of the show talking about jitterbugs. He's back from injury, back at practice. And I love what he had to say as far as the nerves go. You know, you pay good players. That's not him. 
This is him. You know, I was nervous. I felt like, you know, this was, you know, a game day for me. Uh, first time in a while, you know, no sleep last night, jitterbugs all morning. Um, I probably didn't truly feel like myself to at the individual. I was just so nervous. And then after that, it just felt like, you know, just right where I left off at, you know, just coming in and just being, being a leader for this team and just being able to just run around, hopefully make some plays. Yeah, man, it's uh, – I think it's cool in a way, Eddie, where – you think about Shaq Leonard and all that he's accomplished in his NFL career. He has been an absolute playmaker. Now, he's missed a lot of time due to injuries as of late. And I, I think it's cool when a guy's like, man, I was just kind of nervous out there. Right? Like he's just a, a rookie or something like that. I think that's cool instead of the opposite, which would be like, I'm the man. I know what I can do. No nerves. You know, like, I think it's cool that he talked about having a little bit of nerves right there. It shows he cares. Yeah, I, a lot of people were questioning when he was coming back from the second back surgery if he still had the love for football or if this is like Andrew Luck 2.0. And I think that right there is a prime example of him showing that, hey, I still love this game and I still want to give it my all. The fact that I still had, you know, jitterbugs, as he said, or some nerves or butterflies, as you say, uh, going into his first day of training camp after missing pretty much all of last season, I think that speaks to the truth that he does still love the game of football and that he does get excited every day to go into work. You just go nerves. Do you ever go butterflies? Not really, no. Not really. It's just no. nerves. Never came across my mind, really, yeah. to ever say butterflies. I always said that. I, or know, goosebump- goosebumps is in my realm, too. I'll say that occasionally. Are you thinking about uh, throwing chill bumps in there? I am now that you brought it up earlier. The goat says it. That's what Jordan says right there. Chill bumps. A uh, little bit more from Shaq Leonard here. Um uh, on on his thoughts yesterday, just learning from my mistakes. I felt like I felt like last year, you know, was just so eager to get back out there, and you know, I just I feel like I hurt myself again. That's why I had had the second surgery in November. So just learning from that and learning how to take it take it slow and talking to the coaches and trainers, just saying, hey, if you got me on a cap, that's that is what it is. And even though I might come to the sideline say, let me get two or three more plays, just be you know be the bad guy and say no. So they know how I am. They know that I love and want to be on the field, but they know they got to protect me as well. Yeah, listen, it's uh I, I think it's one of the toughest things in football is knowing when to push your body and knowing when to ease off. Cause look, man, these players aren't doctors. You don't know. Right? Like you just go by what the doctor tells you. And it's like uh almost like a car in a way. It, it's hard to tell. When it in your with your body, when it's time to switch gears, you can tell with the car. You can hear it if you got a manual, and it's just like it's all right. Time to shift gears here. When you're shifting gears in terms of your rehab from an injury, sometimes it's hard to know when to ramp it up. And Shaq said it. He pushed it a little bit too fast, too soon last season. He's trying to learn from that, but it's tough, Eddie. When you feel good and you're coming back from injury and you might be on a pitch count, as he says, and they're saying, all right, we got to ease back into this. And you're like, I feel great. I could go a little bit more. It's a tough thing to get right. Very tough. You know, as a competitor, like he said there, you just want to be on the field the entire time and every play and every snap of every practice, walkthrough, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it was still encouraging to see him out there. He went through, I think, every – uh, workout with the linebackers, and then he was out there, I think, for two plays, 
um, for seven on seven, eleven on eleven. Then he'd come off for like three or four, and then be back out there for two plays. So they had him on a nice pitch count, and I think that Colts fans should still be excited that the fact that he was out there for as much as he was because there was so much question going into training camp on. Hey, will he start on pup? Okay, he doesn't start on pup. So how healthy is he? How soon can we expect him to be out there for week one, or will he even be ready week one? And I think this was a great step in the right in the right direction for Shaq in terms of his week one availability. Yeah, no doubt. And that first back surgery did not do the trick. Uh, the second one hopefully did. But that's the crazy thing, Eddie. Is you almost always hear it's pretty much universal following a surgery. The surgeon's like, oh, successful. Absolutely successful. <laughs> there are times it's not the case. I read a blurb. I couldn't believe this about Odell Beckham Jr. There's a piece by Dan Pompey in The Athletic. And so, it, like, think of Shaq Leonard. I bring up OBJ because of Shaq Leonard not having a, an initial successful back surgery. That was the same thing with OBJ, his first ACL surgery. When he went to the Rams, so he tore his ACL, he's with the Browns, has surgery, eventually ends up uh, with, the, with the Rams. And so the team physician with the Rams was like, hey, dude, this ACL surgery you had in 2020, the knee just, it's not right. <laughs> like, yeah. The physical exam showed the surgery hadn't repaired anything. So he was basically, his ACL wasn't holding his knee together. So the surgeon's like, dude, you're probably going to have to have another surgery. And OBJ was like, look, man, I didn't come to the Rams just to have surgery. And so he's trying to gut it out. He even said before the Super Bowl, if there was one additional playoff game before the Super Bowl, he might not have been able to push his way through it with his knee being the way it was. And then in the Super Bowl against the Bengals, that's where it went south. So the whole point is when you hear, the, oh, successful, successful. Great surgery. Successful. Love it. Fantastic. Check marks all across the board. There are times that's not the case at all. Shaq Leonard, Odell Beckham Jr., they're evidence of that. Yeah, and it's just, I would like to see a documentary done on what players do in order to get on the field on Sundays when they're dealing with injury. Oh, like, man, I yeah. would love to see what goes on behind the scenes. Like, we know, like, there's cortisone shots and whatnot, but what all goes into it? Like, how much are you doing outside of practice how late are you staying at the team facility getting work done in the tra in the training room and how early are you getting there to get work done in the training room just to make sure you're available each and every week yeah, i'm sure man. there are a bunch of wild stories out there oh dude where you talk about the you know toward all shots and i mean you name it you name it to try to get through a game and then you deal with the pain afterward, and then, oh, it's a whole thing. You think about Favre being addicted to pain pills. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But uh, outside of the Toradol and pain pills and all that stuff, if we're just talking about, like, a timetable to properly heal from a major injury, it, it is not the easiest thing to get right because nobody's body is the same. You know, you heal at different rates. You might be able to push it a little bit faster, might be a little bit slower. And something as tricky as a back injury, Eddie, you know, that's really difficult. So I hope he's fantastic this year. I I've hope got that some bad news for you. You do? Yes. What, what do you have? As a Dolphins fan, I don't know if you ready for this. I, I'm sitting down. Jalen Ramsey was carted off the oh, field with an apparent left knee injury. Oh, gosh. I just hope it's like. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, 
We had this just a couple of days ago, the safety of the Lions. Yep. He had to be carted off, and you're like, oh, no. And it, they're like, actually, he's fine. <laughs> they're like, Turns out he's, he's totally good. Man, I hope that's the case with Jalen Ramsey. You know, I don't want to go on a whole soapbox here. I've got a, a small soapbox to get on. Very small. Right around the corner in terms of uh, practice, preseason, all of that good stuff. And Anthony slash Clay Richardson, some of his thoughts as he's trying to get up to speed to maybe be the week one starter. You'll hear from A. Rich right around the corner as well. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. Mini soapbox here. Is there such a thing? Can you go mini soapbox, Eddie? I think if it's a brief soapbox story, then yeah. Or a Can rant. be. But yeah. if it's too brief, is it not actually a soapbox? It's like, ooh. Right? These are the hard-pressing questions. This is the tough. These are the mind benders I throw your way every now and then, you know? I'm going to say yes. I would say yes as well. Yeah. I think you can be uh, impassioned, but succinct. <laughs> so, uh, Real fast with the uh, the horrible news of Jalen Ramsey being carted off the field. Uh, scary, I should say, right? Because hopefully it, it won't be anything that's a major injury, but scary and could be horrible. I, this is another, another of the many, 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 many stories of players being injured in practice. It's a necessary evil. You got to practice. You got to get ready for the season. I just want to use this, Eddie, as a reminder when preseason games roll around and when somebody inevitably gets hurt in a preseason game, maybe a big name, you get all of the anger, all of the belly aching. Why do they even have preseason games? It's like that is part of getting ready for the season also. If teams thought there was no value at all of playing anyone who's anybody, they wouldn't do it. But they're looking at it as this is another thing to get some reps, get ready for the season. And it just cracks me up where nobody says, oh, Jalen Ramsey injured at practice. Why do we even have practice? It's like because that's sort of the deal, right? You got to get ready. You can't just get off the couch and go play NFL games. You know, you got to ramp up to it. it. So with preseason games... We treat them like they are dramatically different than anything related to practice. All a preseason game really is, it's just a fancy joint practice. Right? Like if you have two teams get together at one team's training facility, right? Or their their training camp, wherever they do it at. That's basically a preseason game. That's they're kissing cousins. So the preseason game is actually just got a clock and lights and a little more bells and whistles. It's really just a fancy joint practice. So I'm just saying, don't lose your mind when there's a preseason injury and then just shrug your shoulders when there's a practice injury, there's a joint practice injury. They are not worlds apart, and they're treated like they are. All preseason is, to me in my eyes, is just a dress rehearsal for the regular season. Like, 
There's some players that need to go out there so they can, you know, get back into game speed if they didn't come into camp in shape. So they go out there and play a couple snaps, a couple series. Boom, they're ready to go. They get the feel. All right, I'm ready to go for the regular season. Let's go. And there are instances like the Jalen Ramsey situation where there are players that are switching teams or have switched teams, and they need to get used to playing with certain guys. Like Especially with Jalen Ramsey being a corner, there's so much communication that has to go on in the secondary. And similarly enough, like if you have a new coordinator, that coordinator needs to be uh, needs to go through that experience of with, with the players of what it's like on a game day so you don't have as many hiccups during the regular season when you start because once it's week one, uh, the training wheels are off and it's all good to go and you have to go 100%. you got to come out of the gate all uh, hitting on all cylinders. I just never understood the mammoth difference of reaction. You know, like let's I hate to even put a Colts name on it, but let's just put something out there. If Jonathan Taylor... Okay, or who, whatever big name is actually out there playing in a preseason game. If he goes down, if he suffers an injury and it's major or he's going to be on the shelf for a, an extended period of time, if he gets hurt in a preseason game, the reaction is, why is he even out there? Why do we even have the preseason? If Jonathan Taylor gets hurt in practice, it's, man, that was really unfortunate. Like, what? <laughs> I've never understood why it's such a drastic difference. It makes no sense to me. But you watch. It's like clockwork, Eddie. We're going to have another installment of it this season yep. the way we do every single off season. This one will be no different. All right, let's get to our guy, Anthony Richardson. Has the nickname Clay Richardson grown on you at all, Eddie? Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. I, it's grown on me, man. I love it because... You're the, they're going to mold him like clay. He's young. I call him Clay Richardson. huh? But I like what he had to say at practice yesterday. He was talking about everybody getting together, like the quarterbacks, the skill position players. They got together in Miami and threw the ball around, right? Some camaraderie and all that. Here's the biggest takeaway he had from that. You know, it's just learning how to be a leader. You know, not necessarily just going out there and just repping plays. You know, it's uh, gaining their trust, gaining their respect, and being a leader. So uh, I feel like going down there, you know, uh, it definitely tested that for me, and I'm just you know, looking forward for more. Yeah, hey, man, that's great. Um, I like that he's already thinking leadership instead of just, Okay, on this play, this is my read. Here's where I look at this. I read this guy. I'm going here. If not, <laughs> right? Like, you sometimes become robotic. It's way more than that. I'm glad that he's looking at it that way. The other thing that he brought up was as far as uh, what is the biggest challenge of the game for him at this level at this point definitely mental you know uh, I feel like it's mental for everybody but especially for me you know just diving into the playbook day by day you know uh, just studying it every single day I feel like we got most of the uh, playbook you know uh, installed already but you know it's just repetition going over it every day so definitely 100% mental for me right now yeah and that's the thing Eddie that's where man with the lack of college experience I'm not telling you that you know it's a for sure thing that he's going to be bad. I'm not telling you that. But, man, you talk about it being a much, much greater challenge when you haven't had as many reps. Not, sometimes, like, a fourth of the reps of some other guys coming out of college. right? Like, literally, like, a fourth of the passes in college compared to some other dudes. Like, that. that's tough, man. It's tough to get up to speed when you're trying to get there in the NFL ranks. Not easy. No, it's not because the NFL is a different animal when it comes to how fast the game moves. It's like 
if a player was um if you called somebody up he was in like rookie ball and you ask him hey come up to the majors let's play right and you gotta face Shohei Otani or Jacob DeGrom or somebody who's at the top of the MLB in terms of your favorite pitcher or you, who you think is whomever the best pitcher is it's like yeah it's uh it's a different beast like there is no comparison going from college to the NFL unless you're like I don't know I don't want to say this but like Bryce Young he's got probably the easiest you know segue from college to the NFL because of the amount of games he's played in and the amount of pressure games that he's played in I don't think any of these quarterbacks that were in this class will be able to compare to that so he's got that experience going for him already yeah and listen to what he says about the speed of the game because we can do another baseball thing on this. Check this out. Oh, it's definitely fast. You know, uh, it's, it's keeping me in shape for sure. Uh, my first practice, you know, I'm like, wow, this is definitely fast paced. You know, cramming all that within an hour, you know, it, it definitely, you know, gets things rolling. You got to be on point. So detail definitely matter. Yeah, that, uh, wow, a lot faster over here. It would be like, um, you know, being in, if you're a baseball player and you're facing pitching that is, I don't know, you're facing fastballs that are in the, the 90s, but not crazy. And then you get to the majors and you're facing closers consistently close to 100, if not in the 100s. And it's like, whoa, you might not have seen a curveball as nasty. You might not see movement as nasty. It's an adjustment period. And you take that with hitting, which is incredibly difficult. I think it's way harder as a quarterback going from college with limited experience to the NFL with just the speed of the game, adjusting to that, and the complexity. These plays are like, you know, short stories. <laughs> when yeah. you rattle off these plays and all of your keys and knowing where everybody is and then the schemes you're facing and the exotic looks, the exotic coverages, all this stuff that are, are like playing off your weaknesses – it's going to be quite the challenge, man. It's not the easy. It's probably the hardest position in all of sports is the quarterback position because there are, there's so much on your plate. And, you know, he's only 21 years old. And you go out of college with that little of experience and you just become legal age to consume alcohol. I think it's it's like it's incredibly hard. You're going to be drinking from a fire hose probably for a year and a half. Um, and it probably won't be half three, halfway through that next season until I think the game really starts to slow down for Anthony Richardson if he does in fact start if not most of the season all games this year so it's going to take a lot of time just got to be patient with it ride the highs with him go through the lows and just be able to support him along the way you know I think uh, if we tie these together Eddie between Shaq Leonard and Anthony Richardson I think it's the old slogan know when to say when I think a lot of the season comes down to that. For Shaq Leonard, it's managing these injuries, right? Knowing when to push your body, knowing when to back off a little bit. It's going to be a big key for him. For Anthony Richardson, I think a lot of his development this season is knowing when to scramble, when to hang in there. You know what I mean? Like when to, hey, I got an escape route. I can gain seven yards. And when to say, you know what, I need to stick with this play a little bit longer because my third receiver might be breaking open, right? Like, that's going to be a, a true test for both of those guys. But I think for Richardson being so young, just and being so athletic, that's the thing is, could he maybe gain some yards and it be a positive play and it, it be a, a bad thing? At times, yeah, <laughs> because you could be... Leaning on that a little bit too much, 
instead of developing your passing ability, reading defenses, really being surgical from that standpoint and not taking that additional punishment. So I really want to see how that plays itself out this season too. Every single rep is important for him, whether that's in practice or in the joint practices, uh, preseason, and obviously every NFL game. But like as we've already noted, the lack of experience, you have to be locked in mentally and physically for every single rep. And if you get it wrong in practice, you got to be in communication with the quarterback's coach. you got to be in communication with Jim Bob Cooter. you got to be in communication with Shane Steichen and even uh, the other two quarterbacks and Sam Ellinger and Gardner Minshew. Like, you have to rely on those guys and continue to ask questions because there's so much pressure riding on you, and you know it. As only, like I mentioned, he's only 21 years old, and you know that, hey, they invested a fourth overall pick in me. They expect me to become the franchise quarterback. I want to become the franchise quarterback. And when you're that young and that inexperienced, you have to ask as many possible questions as you can to get yourself as prepared as you possibly can for week one if that's the if that's the goal for him and if that's the goal for the coaching staff. Well, and that's too, that's the thing, Eddie, is he's got a lot of things there to work with. If you think about what's on his side, well, He's a mature 21-year-old. Agreed. Right? Very mature. He's already thinking about leadership and not just getting the the mental side of it. He's thinking about being a leader. Uh, You think about the ability he has physically, just an imposing quarterback, like size, speed, the whole thing. And then the support around him, where you think about Shane Steichen, uh, in particular, what he's been able to do with the quarterbacks he's worked with. Uh, Chris Ballard, like, you've got a legitimate like staff around you. So there are things there that give him a chance, give him a chance to pop. And uh, we'll see if he takes steps toward that this season, but uh, very excited to see what happens with him. Uh, Coming up next, some not so shocking news, Eddie, not shocking whatsoever based on uh, in the division and maybe some uh, struggles. Out of the gate. We'll oh, get to that I know where you're going, dang it. Uh, yeah, it's just you know, throwing it out there. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No. He's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. Man, it just dawned on me here. I am freaking hungry right now. On a scale from 1 to 10, Eddie, what would be your guess as to how hungry I am at this current uh, point in time? 13. (laughs) I I was thinking more of a 9, but I do like that you went off the scales there. See, I would expect that from you a time to time, so I didn't know if that was... uh this was one of those situations so i just took a stab at it i like that that's uh let's legit by the way you were one and oh with your uh gambling picks yesterday yep much appreciative uh to the cardinals for scoring and i'm glad i laid off the number that i was looking at on the under for them because well Oof. they uh they smashed that over yeah right what was our guy zach gallon going for the d-backs and he had no answer for the lethal cardinals offensive lineup there no and then they uh the cardinals brought in the back of the bullpen guy the triple a pitcher making his yeah. major league debut i think so i was like let's go that got, was good for us yeah i got a nice four spot in the bottom of the ninth inning that worked we needed one more run one more run in the ninth and they uh they got us a few there so uh make sure you're sitting down for this this might come as a shock 
looking at the AFC South. Are you sitting down, Eddie? I just want to make sure. Indeed, I am. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, there's a report here about the uh, Texans quarterbacks, okay? So the little blurb reads, Houston Texans, rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud continues battling in the quarterback competition with Davis Mills. Between four total sessions of seven-on-seven and seven team drills, Stroud and Mills split the first team reps. Neither stood out as both struggled through the air. <laughs> I knew you were going to get a kick out of that. (laughs) No way. Wait a minute. No way. Let me get this straight. CJ Stroud, who goes from what will eventually be five first round wide receivers. That literally is who he's been surrounded by the last couple of years at Ohio State. He went from that. The Ohio State. Okay. At the Ohio State. He went from that to uh, Nico Collins and Robert Woods, and he's struggling? Eddie, is this happening? Can this be the case, really? Hey, now, it's only the first day. Cut him a little slack. Okay. (laughs) Now, if that report came out next week, when there are three or four practices in, I may buy into it. Um, Here's an honest question. This might sound crazy because C.J. Stroud, he put up numbers. He dazzled. He was going toe-to-toe with Georgia in a playoff game. You know, so this might sound like a stupid question. But we're at a different level here. Put college in the rearview mirror. Which is the bigger adjustment? And which do you think will have more hurdles to jump over initially in their rookie season? Is it Anthony Richardson... Or is it C.J. Stroud? Now, that might seem like an obvious answer. Like, are you serious right now? C.J. Stroud, did you see him against Georgia? It's like, yeah, I saw him throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr., who's going to be a top five pick. He doesn't have that at all with the Houston Texans. So you think about the talent, the embarrassment of riches he was used to at Ohio State. Sorry, Eddie. The Ohio State. There you go. The lack of top talent. He has surrounding him with the Houston Texans right now. Put some respect on that. That is a huge adjustment to make. Huge. Uh, I would have to say I would still lean Anthony Richardson. And that's the thing with Anthony Richardson throwing under 400 passing attempts, not having a whole lot of starts, not having a whole lot of seasoning. I would agree with you, Eddie, but it is... What's that it used to say in your uh, your mirror right there? Object objects are closer than they appear. Yes, that, that's like C.J. Stroud is driving down the road and he's like he's reading this. Objects are closer than they appear. It's actually Anthony Richardson. <laughs> Anthony Richardson is right behind him. He is tailgating C.J. Stroud because C.J. Stroud going from that talent to this lack of talent. Oh baby, that is going to be an adjustment. I knew you were fine humor slash love in that kind of as you called it blurb (laughs) is that because you don't know if it's called a tweet or if it's called a an x or whatever oh yeah no it wasn't a tweet or an x it was just a like a camp report that type of thing they threw a bunch of them together on espn so that was just a, a blurb from one of the guys that covers the team and i just that is my favorite sentence of the off season so far is and I, it sound like I'm rooting against them. I'm not. I just I rage against bad logic, Eddie. 
is what I do. You know, if there's just a horrible argument, it just bothers me. I don't know why. I'm weird like that. But these people that expect C.J. Stroud to go from Ohio State to what? To just crushing it in year one with the Texans? Like, he is going to be freaking terrible. And not just a rookie season. He might be like that for a while until they really upgrade the talent. And, oh, what did they do? They traded a bunch of draft equity to get Will Anderson Jr. So they can't even greatly upgrade him with top draft picks next season either. Great job, Houston. Good job. You're off to a flying start. They're always a discombobulated franchise. Like, always have, always will be. <laughs> it seems like it, right? It seems like they just can't help but Houston things up a little bit. But, I mean, realistically, what rookie quarterback do you expect to walk into the NFL and succeed right away? Well, and that's the thing is it has to be a different gauge, right? It has to be – I would – you have the rookie wage scale, right, for these top draft picks. The money that they make is capped. You don't earn money like you used to, like you were a veteran when you were a rookie. right? So there's a rookie wage scale. I think there should be a, a rookie stats scale, right, where you're not – you're not saying, well, this guy in his rookie season compared to Mahomes. I mean, geez, what? Right? Like, that's ridiculous. I think you have to look at other rookies and not just this year, but in previous years. That's where you gauge it. Is this more of a, a Herbert type flying start? Is this more of a crash and burn, you know, John Elway type start? Zach Wilson type start, you know? I think oh, you gosh. have to, you have to keep things in perspective but man i i just the whole thing is anybody who has hoop dreams of cj stroud hitting the ground running it ain't happening sorry it's just it's not happening i just don't know when we're going to see another quarterback step into the nfl and play the way like andrew luck did in his rookie year yeah i just don't know if that will ever happen again i'm sure it will but it may take a long long time the crazy thing too eddie is he had a lot of national critics. Yes. And it's like, dude, do you see the roster right now? <laughs> it was like, it was obnoxious. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. What he was able to do, especially initially in his career, was remarkable. Remarkable. All right, we got Nate Atkins coming up. Colts beat reporter for the Indy Star. We got a lot to get to. Clay Richardson. JT's pursuit of a contract. Jim Ursay off the top rope. <laughs> Just that, that's the people's elbow on the running back position. You're like the running back position was already on the mat. And here comes Jim Ursay doing the whole rock bottom. Like, well, we gotta get how about that too? Huh? How about that? So we'll get to that with Nate. I'm Brian No. He's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 1075 the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I know he's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. It's funny, Eddie. I randomly re-watched, it was a day or two ago, the classic SNL skit with Will Ferrell on the cowbell. And, uh, oh, dude, it's just top shelf. So well done. So well. Who's our guy? Christopher Walken. I'm going to need more cowbell. 
Oh, it's tremendous. Great job by you. We'll, we'll uh, circle back to that. I know you have many thoughts on that. We want to welcome in Nate Atkins, Colts beat reporter for the Indy Star right now. Uh, are you a big Will Ferrell fan, Nate? I'm just curious. Are you a fan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you can always kick back and put on a Will Ferrell movie and, you know, lighten the mood a little bit, and especially this time of year in training camp. You know, that, that's not a bad idea. I might look into that. Who who would be your go-to actor? Not necessarily a comedic actor. It could be anybody. Denzel, a big Mark Wahlberg fan. Like, who's the guy? Oh, boy. Um, I'd probably, these days, probably say Michael B. Jordan. Just really? Everything he does. Oh, yeah. yeah. Watched Creed three recently and loved it. Um, but just he, uh, I don't know. I was a big Friday Night Lights guy when that show was humming, and then to kind of see uh, his career take off and just, uh, yeah, I, you know, big Rocky fan growing up too, so kind of Creed to me has become kind of a cool way for them to spin it forward. So was Michael B. Jordan, uh, I'm sorry, but was he in Friday Night Lights? The TV show, yeah. Oh, he was, okay, the TV yeah. show. Yeah, got it, got Vince, it. Vince in the... Uh, for Dylan East, who's the star quarterback there. So uh, that shows that that's the best version of Friday Night Lights of the TV show. Yeah, I didn't see much of that. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. It's a good recommendation by you. Okay, so uh, Colts camp. Uh, what's the biggest takeaway for you right now as we uh, ramp closer to the season? I mean, the biggest storyline for sure is Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't think that that's exactly where this would go, at least to this level so far. Uh, but just him, you know, going on the PUP list, physically unable to perform uh, for, you know, related to an ankle surgery he had in January. But all the, you know, also at the moment when he's very much, you know, like other running backs of his caliber, looking for a new contract, and uh, you know, is clearly upset about it. And so, you know, they didn't plan on putting him on pup until. You know, he met with Chris Ballard, and so it's just interesting to monitor the way that that's playing out. Uh, and it's just sort of unfortunately overshadowing what I thought camp was going to be all about, which is Anthony Richardson. And there are moments where it's, you know, there's it's not completely overshadowed because there was, it was cool to see all the fans come out in droves yesterday for the first open practice and Anthony, you know, going out there. And even though it was a very, very light day, I think he attempted, he attempted two passes in 11 on 11, and it was a swing pass and a flare <laughs> so very very light but just having him run some of the rpo and the read option and you know there's one you know one moment when he scrambled into the end zone just the cheers for anything he does is just kind of way bigger than any other player right now it just it's you see this hope this excitement uh that, that's building around him but it's also the fact that the road it took to get here i think through Everything that's that's predated this, you know, with Andrew Luck and uh, the the quarterback carousel they've gone through, the three they played last year, and just the fact that how messy everything got last year, you know, after the coaching change and cycling through the quarterbacks and all of that. So to, to finally be in this moment where they have a quarterback they drafted in the top ten to become their starter, it's like the first time they've done it since Andrew Luck. And a lot of fans here who are so nostalgic for those days it's sort of like renewing that faith and optimism in them. And so ultimately, though, it's like that's what's so interesting about this camp is you have these competing emotions of that hope and buzz and excitement with also some of this confusion, dread, and drama, you know, surrounding Jonathan Taylor. So I'm curious to see how it plays out and to see which of those emotions ends up stronger in the end. What, um, what has Anthony Richardson looked like to you 
thus far? What, what would you? How would you describe him for someone who hasn't seen him? Yeah, so we've gotten to see him several times now. If you take it back to OTAs uh, and many better in mini camp in the spring, and that's been the better look at him than yesterday, which, like I said, was incredibly light. Uh, but you do notice, like he. He, he, I mean, he arrives kind of as advertised, where certainly the first thing you notice is just how built he is. He just looks like a giant out there at quarterback and realizing he's going to be the guy behind center. He's not playing defensive end or linebacker. And then you see moments where he, you know, he's shifting in the pocket, you, you know, the way he'll launch his body weight from one uh, leg to the other to avoid pressure. You know, that's, that's what the Colts are most excited about, that natural pocket presence and just sheer ability, the stuff that he lived up the combine with, or, you know, it's all present in that body. You know, at the same time, there's there's the the downsides or the, the the areas he has to get better in. You know, you know, a lot of accuracy concerns early on in minicamp. Granted, they were intentionally making this hard for him. They have him, and they did this again yesterday. A lot of red zone drills uh, where it really condenses the field and forces him to make quick decisions. Uh, they're whistling dead anytime that he's been taking off to run. So it kind of forces him to stand back there and, and make the throw and, and not, you know, just rely on his legs. And so there's been ups and downs to that. You know, we track the throws you know, all the time. And, and in the spring, you know, there, there were some days where he was like four of 13. Uh, but granted, these are, you know, settings where they're trying to make it hard on him. And within that though, there's always a couple throws, a practice where you go, oh, that's why they drafted him. Like he'll I remember there's a throw in minicamp where he just uh, scrambled out and just launched a ball like 65 yards in their uh, in their indoor facility, just hitting a post route right in stride. And you just realize like they haven't had a quarterback who could do that uh, in a while here in Indianapolis. And just kind of a combination between you know the, the physical tools and traits he has, the upside as an athlete with. A personality that right now looks like he, he very much loves doing this and loves grinding and, and working and teammates joking about how they can't get him to look up from his iPad because he's so locked in on the playbook and, and the film. So it's been a good mix so far, but also there's a reality that like he's it's going to be a long process to build uh, some of the natural footwork, uh, mechanics, decision-making, accuracy to get him to the to the level that they really want. He's Nate Atkins from the Indy Star joining us here on The Fan. What did you make of Jim Ursay's tweet as if the running back position needed to be kicked out there already down? Uh, what did you make of what he had to put out there? Um, I'm guessing the uh, the person least in enjoying that tweet yesterday was Chris Ballard uh, because that did not at all help the situation. <laughs> Uh, just to, you know, subtweeting your best player, I just don't think it's a great look for the franchise. It's just, it, it's kind of who Jim Mersey is at this point. He's, you know, he's vivacious. He, he, he likes to share and, and interact with fans on Twitter. And I'm guessing, you know, it definitely sounds like a response to some of the comments that Najee Harris is making about the running back position related to the Zoom call that they had. So it is a little big picture, but of course, it's front of mind to him because he's got a running back going through it. And, uh, just interesting to take, you know, that coming out also the day that of the first practice, Jonathan Taylor going on the, the pup list. And he just, Jonathan looked about as miserable as I've ever seen him yesterday uh, out there at practice. Just not much joy going on uh, in the situation right now. So it just seemed to, to me that tweet, I think, just kind of added some 
some flames. And, you know, especially when you have Jonathan Taylor's agent sort of uh, joining in on that, you know, he had quote tweeted and said, bad faith is not paying your best you know, player. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not the way you want these contract negotiations to go. And it's not the way that I know Chris Ballard wants to handle it, where it's very hard for us to even talk with him about contracts because he very much believes that is, you know, a business thing between you and a player. And it's, it's not to be aired in the public. And we're at the point where it's very much being aired in the public. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Like what can the Colts do to basically kind of cheer JT up if they're not showing it through actions, you know what I mean? The actions are giving him cash, like showing that they value him. And if they're not, I don't know how flowery words are going to do it, right? Yeah, I don't think it's they're going to find a solution that's not financial. I've, I've been through this. You know, I covered the Lions when this was a different situation, but Calvin Johnson had this a couple years after he had retired, but they had asked for money in his signing bonus back. Uh, even though he retired due to injuries for giving it all for his franchise. And they tried it. The Lions tried all these different things to kind of cheer him up and invite him to stuff. And, and he just kept saying, uh, there's one way to, to cheer me up and sign a check. And so that's just how this is. I think it's going to play out with Jonathan Taylor. That doesn't mean I'm not trying to say that Jonathan's all about the money, but the situation that he's in right now, I, I can understand why he's looking at this. He's an incredibly smart person. He talks. He's on the Zoom call with running backs, and he uh, he knows a lot of the guys in the league going through this. I, I think he can see how this could play out, where he's entering a contract year for a team that wants to run the ball about you know more than any other team in football if they can with a rookie quarterback, and uh, you know bringing in the Eagles scheme with under Shane Steichen, and then next year you know he's going to hit free agency. But what's happening to start backs? that Saquon Barkley's going through is the franchise tag comes in where, you know, basically it could create a two-year window where the Colts can build out this offense around Anthony Richardson that, that could be incredibly exciting to watch. And, you know, it, and they may be very successful running the ball, but if, if, it, if it doesn't lead to a long-term extension from the Colts, what it ends up being is it's a rental with a very clear endpoint to it to where they know they can just kind of run up the carries on him uh, like – you know, have him lead the league in rushing for two years, and then where does that leave him entering free agency in the eyes of the league where he could be in a situation where of his past four seasons, uh, you know, he's, you know, there's a chance where he's led the league in rushing three of those four years, and the other one was crushed by an ankle injury. And that's just not where any player wants to end up. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. I, I don't think they'll cheer him up without a contract extension, but – I mean, you, you got to at least avoid, you know, making the situation worse with uh, tweets like Jim Mercy sent last night. Amen to that. No doubt. He's Nate Atkins from the Indy Star. How about Shaq Leonard? Uh, he's talked about coming back from major injuries, trying to be smart about not pushing his body too much. What have you seen from Shaq? Because I love his approach, but when you see him out there, what does he look like? Yeah, I was shocked to see him out there with the starting defense, to be honest with you. That was one that... I felt like Chris Ballard was really trying to set uh, the expectations low and, and preach patience with him, that he, even admitting that he's made nice progress and he was going to do some things. But uh, I didn't think it would ramp up to the point where he's basically doing everything except contact is what it seems like. You know, these practices, they're not, you know, they're, they're not tackling yet. They're not doing that. So that's where I'm guessing they're going to hold him back. But as far as like running and moving around, it, it looks a lot better than, it did at any point last year. It still isn't 
what it was, you know, two years ago when he's, you know, arguably the fastest, most explosive linebacker in the game. But even like today, we were talking to Gus Bradley, defense coordinator, and he's he was kind of taken aback by how much more explosive he looks because Gus has only gotten one year with Shaq, and it was, you know, the, the toughest year he's had where he was never, ever right last year because of that uh, nerve issue in his back and the way that it shot down to his calf and zapped his explosiveness. And the, the guy he's seeing now is much more, much closer to the one he used to watch on film when he took this job and made dreams of building out the Seahawks-style defense and having uh, Shaq Leonard in the middle of it like he once had Bobby Wagner in the middle of it. So it's gotten everybody a little excited while also knowing that there's a you know there's still a road that has to play out. And Shaq is Shaq's super emotional. He's thrilled to be back, but he's even made that clear that he needs to match up you know, the film of practice versus the film of how he used to move and gain a sense of how close he is, how much further he needs to go. So we're not out of the woods with it, but it's definitely taken a turn for the better. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, uh, has it gotten ridiculously hot out there for you yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am a warm-blooded individual, so this is not my time of year. And it's uh, I think it's supposed to get up to like 97 for tomorrow's practice. So uh, that'll be fun. But it's it's been morning practices, and then Saturday is an evening practice. So uh, so that part's good about it. And you know, and, yeah, it's it's football, and it's it's a it's a fun thing to be out here doing for work. So yeah, who am I to complain too much about how hot it is? But it is it's scorching. Yeah, man. Well, hey, I hope you stay as cool as possible. And great stuff, Nate. Seriously, you crushed it today. We'll catch up with you soon, man. Yep. Thanks. Have me anytime. All right. Thank you. There he is, Nate Atkins, Colts beat reporter. For the Indy Star, there's a lot of great stuff there, really. And uh, when he's talking about JT being just bummed out, he hasn't seen JT look like that for a while. And, I mean, it's got to be somewhat connected to the overall running back situation, maybe something to do with Jim Irsay's tweet. Because think about it like this. If uh, Think about your own life. I think we're all very, very similar in one regard. We want to be valued. You want to be valued. That's a simple concept. If you go out on a date, uh, you want the person to listen to what you have to say instead of being on their phone, right? Like <laughs> you want people to not just only be about work, but show you some time, show you some focus. You want to feel like you are valued, especially by the people that are close to you. And so Jonathan Taylor He's in a family named the Colts. And based on this whole landscape about the running back position being devalued in terms of dollars and cents and not getting the money, that's one thing. And then you add the extra layer on top, the whipped cream and cherry and the syrup and all the good stuff, right, of Jim Irsay's tweet of saying, Man, all these people talking about renegotiating the CBA. Nope, not doing that. Some of these agents are selling bad faith. It's like, let me get this straight. This is what I'd be thinking. I don't know if JT is thinking this. This is what I'd be thinking if I were in his shoes. I'd be like, let me get this straight. So I'm not going to get the pay that is even remotely close to the production. Most likely. That's just where the market is. Okay, cool. I'm seeing fellow running backs, one after another, not getting the pay that's even close to the production. 
Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing. He's on a franchise tag that making $10 million, right? If he signs it, <laughs> like that, that's where it's at right now. And then the team owner here of the Colts, Jim Ursay, is taking it to the next level. Say, hey, here are my thoughts on the running back situation. We negotiated a CBA. It took years and effort, hard work, compromise, good faith by both sides. And uh, to say now that a specific player category, <clears throat> running backs, wants another negotiation after the fact, well, that's inappropriate. <laughs> so like, you're being devalued contractually. Your position is being devalued across the league. The team owner is devaluing your position, and you're seeing it right in front of your face. Like, how would you have this spring to your step where it's like, nothing phases me, all is good, just sort of skipping to work, humming my favorite tune? That, that's rough, all that considered, and coming off of the injury as well. Being on the pup list, that's a lot. That's a lot there, but I think a lot of that uh, comes from people showing you that they're not valuing you the way you would hope they would. Um, and that that makes perfect sense to me because, again, it would be like going out with someone and then them not showing that they value you. It's going to drag you down. <laughs> You're not going to leave that day just like, Man, that was great. <laughs> like, you're going to be down like this sucks. <laughs> like, and I, I think that's partially how JT is feeling right now. It's a crazy story right now, Eddie. And I don't see it being dramatically better. Um, maybe when JT gets healthier and puts the pads on and, you know, he gets back to running the ball and coming back from a major injury and being there for his teammates, he's going to come around because that's just the kind of guy he is. But for the here and now, with all that to deal with, I can totally understand why he's down in the dumps a little bit. You don't think you don't think he would sit out this year as a hold-in? I don't think so. Not the entire year, because it goes back to Le'Veon Bell. It, it didn't help Le'Veon. It wouldn't help JT. So if it's not going to help, I don't see him doing it. That's fair. I also don't have to look at how old was Le'Veon Bell when he did when he held out. Um, that was, I think, what, the 2018 season? So I could tell you real fast. Let's see. Let, you got to remember the apostrophe in Le'Veon Bell. You know, <laughs> otherwise, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, it was 28 season. Yeah, so he was 26. He's 26 when he missed that season. Wow. Yeah, and what's JT right now? 25? Yep. 25. So that's uh, close to a carbon copy. As close as you can get, pretty much. And that didn't help Le'Veon at all. So that's the other part of this too, Eddie, is it's not just being devalued, your position, the team owner, right? It's like, what's the solution? You're also feeling like your hands are tied and you're powerless, which is exactly the position that he's in. That I think doesn't it would feel be, great either. I think it would be different if he wasn't coming off a season where he was injured and have to have had to have a surgery in the offseason. I think if he finished the season healthy and he played every single game last year, I think it would be a different conversation. But, like, you're coming off an injury, so it's like, okay, we need to see what you look like after this injury, and it kind of is hard for us to negotiate an extension to keep you around long-term because 
what if we sign you to an extension and we pay you whatever it is that you're commanding, $15 million a year, and you go out there and you get hurt again? And there's not really an out for us here. We're going to have a dead cap situation. Next thing you know, we'll be in a very similar situation like Ezekiel Elliott with the Dallas Cowboys. Like he was making too much money for them to cut him last year. So they had to cut him this year and they still have to bite the bullet. Yeah. I, I think the least you should do, and I totally understand everything that you're saying. Like, again, it goes back to good business versus good faith. Right? Like, what teams are doing with running backs, they're negotiating. In, in good business sense for them, for the team, for the salary cap. This is the market value for top running backs. It's pennies on the dollar, right? So that's good for the teams. So that's good business. It's not good faith when you're applying the franchise tag, not negotiating in good faith. Think about Saquon Barkley, Eddie. Saquon got new representation, and the Giants still wouldn't meet with the guy and talk money, right? Like before the the franchise tag deadline. That's not negotiating in good faith. So if you're not going to negotiate in good faith, the least you can do is not have Jim Ursay throw out a tweet. If you're not going to have the actions, at least have the words. You know what I'm saying? The actions are, here's a new long-term extension, JT. Here's the bag. Those are actions. If those aren't the actions, at least you could have the words. Where JT, he's... This guy works his butt off. We value him like crazy. A huge part of this organization. Instead, you've, you've got Jim Irsay saying, hey, this, let me just set the record straight. With everybody saying we need to redo a portion of the CBA. Not happening. <laughs> like, bro, dude, <laughs> Sound why? Sound like Goblin there for a second. I just, I, you don't have the actions. And also, you don't have the words. <laughs> look, and you look at how the running back position played out this offseason. You've got Joe Mixon, for example. He takes a pay cut to stay in Cincinnati, so he doesn't get cut. He takes a pay cut of $4.39 million this year and then $4.67 million of next year just to stay with the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Saquon Barkley. He gets tagged because he wants a bigger contract extension. He ends up having to sign the tag and making $11 million a year. Now you look at Tony Pollard. Now, Pollard's situation is a bit different than everyone else because Pollard hasn't had the production as an RB1 in terms of getting the carries to match up with that yet, even dating back into college. In college, he didn't have a season with more than 100 carries. So far in his NFL career, he hasn't had a season more than 200 carries. So when you look at it that from that perspective, I don't think Tony Pollard had any leverage whatsoever to get a big contract. So he gets the $10 million, and now you have uh, Josh Jacobs, who's all by his lonesome, there was a report today that the Raiders offered him, I think, $12 million with the franchise tax, so he gets $2 million in incentives. Uh, now you look at Jonathan Taylor, who is entering the final year of his rookie contract, um, and it does not look good. It, it's yeah. not going to be pretty because of how everything else has played out around him leading up to this decision. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. That's the whole landscape. <laughs> And then Jim Irsay does the opposite of not giving flowery words. And like he's he's not addressing Jonathan Taylor's situation specifically. He's addressing the entire running back landscape. But in turn, he's also addressing Jonathan Taylor's situation. You know what I'm saying? So I, I get why JT wouldn't have just this huge magnetic smile on his face with everything at play here. 
That's yeah. a lot. And it's not going to get any easier, too. Like, you look at some of these running backs that are coming up for extensions, like, in the future. You have, like, Najee Harris, for example. He's going to get the fifth-year option picked up, so he's going to have five years of team control, and then you're going to get tagged for another year. So that is six yeah. years already. Right. So then, then there's no absolute reason for you to get paid a big contract as your first in your first extension and probably your only second contract uh, in the NFL at the age of 27, 28, even 29. So it's like these running backs that are going in the first round now, it's going to just get worse and worse and worse because I think more teams are going to start drafting RBs in the first round because of having five years of a control right away. Yeah, I know. It's wild. It really is wild, but that's the landscape we're looking at and uh, not great. Not great for Jonathan Taylor or anybody else right now that plays running back. Uh, we got a lot to get to here, Eddie, because there are a few other things that... Uh, that Nate Atkins had to say. I thought we're great as far as uh, Shaq Leonard goes. Got some thoughts on him coming back to a, a rousing ovation. I loved his comments as far as that goes. And there's also, there's a quarterback in the same conference that has made an interesting decision. And it gets me thinking about Anthony Richardson. So we'll get to that as well uh, right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He is Eddie Garrison, 93.5107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. No, he's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. Who sings this, Eddie? That would be Far East Movement. It's a great one-hit wonder right there. Indeed. I doubt they have anything else on the resume, but uh, I love this song. I actually do. For some reason, I have this ridiculous vision of you just going nuts at a rave. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why. I don't know how you would dress for that. I'm, I'm picturing shades, definitely glow sticks of some kind. I'm just honored you think I'd go to a rave concert. I've never been to a rave. You been to a rave, Eddie? Uh, no. I've never been. We should check that off the list at some point. I'm shocked that you haven't, considering your (laughs) musical taste. (laughs) I just find that statement awesome. I'm surprised you haven't. Are you kidding me? You haven't been to a rave? You sound like you pop E every day. No. No, No, it's just a more musical taste. Is that where you're going with there, Eddie? That's the thing? Yeah, I just like to vary it up now and then, you know? Okay. Got to keep you on your toes. Can't always be some nice classic rock or whatnot. Yeah, I don't know if I would enjoy it. I, You know what I would do if I go to a rave? I'm going to embrace the holy hell out of it, you know? Because I feel like if you just go and you're just sort of like, okay, this is all it. No, no, you got to start break dancing on the floor. You got to go for it. I'm not saying you got to do anything illegal. I'm just saying <laughs> you got to embrace it, right? I don't even know what goes on at a rave. I'm imagining wildness is what goes on for a good rave. I guess like... Could compare a rave to the snake pit, maybe? Yeah, like, if you go to a metal show, and you were like, how wild was it? And you're like, man, not that wild. You didn't go to a good metal concert. Like, that's how I feel it is with a rave. What? What's a wild metal concert, then? Um, Just mayhem. Legally. Like, like legally speaking, you. Yeah. Right, right. Legally, just loud, um random you know like you got to do some you got to do some crowd surf you got to do a little bit of moshing you know what's moshing come on eddie you you wrote the book on moshing what 
Yeah, it's uh, really just running into people as if you're on a football field and you're not oh, wearing equipment. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. The Oklahoma drill? It's kind of the Oklahoma drill without pads. Okay. What it, <laughs> I think that's what they crafted it after. Is Hey, I got a great idea. Uh, we're, you know, past our prime, a lot of us. We're in our 30s or 40s, maybe our 50s. Let's just run into each other and uh, without pads uh, on uh, like a concrete floor. And if you lose your balance, well, you know, you're probably going to break something. Loser. Yeah. Great. Let's do it. Sounds awesome. Okay. So a couple of things here. One, Tua Tungavailoa got me thinking about Anthony Richardson. Eddie, if you look at this, have you seen this uh, Netflix series quarterback at all? Any episodes? I haven't yet. Yeah. I saw the first one last night. And I've been hearing so much about it. And I'm like, I, I have to watch some of this. It was great. One episode in, cool stuff. A lot of mic'd up footage, interesting. I mean, like Kirk Cousins is not exactly Mr. Electric, but it's like hard knocks. You know, they're going to make almost anybody look more interesting than they are. And say what you want about Kirk, but he puts up numbers. But anyway, was watching it featuring Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, also Marcus Mariota. That's a random selection with Mariota. But now they're looking for quarterbacks for the second season. And so Tua Tungavailoa, Dolphins quarterback, he was approached by Netflix. And he said, I'm not interested right now. He said he watched it this summer and it showed too much of the personal and family life. And he's more of a private person. So doesn't want that. I think Joe Burrow also turned it down, and I think even Josh Allen, maybe. Yeah, there Jaylen were Hurts has as well. I know that Hurts has. Sam Howell has. That's a huge loss for quarterback. Man, they were really Ooh, hoping. Man, Sam Howell of the Commanders would say yes, and then boom, you got your A lister right there. Uh, Justin Fields has said no. So there were a few that have said no, thank you. I think it's funny too because, but I get it. Two of these. Family-oriented. He doesn't want all of that to be on screen. I get that. But it was literally just the other day he was flossing a new tat. <laughs> he was showing off his his sleeve tattoo that was connected to his family, his Samoan background. and uh, So I just thought that was funny. Where it's, I'm private. Hey, check this out. Look at this new tat over here. <laughs> but Tua said no. Now, we weave our way to Clay Richardson, Eddie. What if uh, the Netflix suits, they approach Anthony Richardson and say, hey, you got a pretty interesting story here. You're a rookie. Uh, haven't thrown 400 passes at the collegiate level. We think it would be a very interesting to include you into the mix here of our three quarterbacks. I, I can certainly see why they would want Anthony Richardson. Yeah. As a Colts fan, what would be your reaction if you see the tweet from Schefter, Anthony Richardson is in. He'll be featured for the second season of quarterback. I don't see it happening. Even if Richardson wanted to do it, I don't think Chris Ballard and the front office would want that to happen. Uh-huh. Um, just because of their experience with hard knocks, the end season, I don't think they I, – I mean, I don't think they hated it, but I don't think they loved it. So, I don't know. I think – Ballard and company would want him to really focus more on becoming an NFL quarterback than worrying about uh, trying to hide things with cameras around all the time uh, and rather just him acclimate himself to becoming a part of the NFL. So I hear you. I get you on all of that. 
let's suspend reality and good logic for a second. You know? Okay. Netflix approaches Anthony Richardson. A. Rich says, you know what? I think that'd be really cool. I want to do it. I want to do it, Chris. Let me do it. Put me in, coach. Right? And the Colts just, for whatever reason, they say, okay, fine. If this is what you want to do, let's do it. As a Colts fan, what is your reaction to Anthony Richardson being featured on quarterback? I'd be happy. You I'd would like, be. Yeah, I'd like to see what they're doing behind the scenes that we don't get to see to the naked eye. And like what goes on in the inner workings uh, of day-to-day life as Anthony Richardson uh, becoming a rookie in the NFL. I hear you. I like that that is your reaction because far too often it's so negative. It's, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be featured on a, a series? Oh, only bad can happen. Only bad can result from this. <laughs> it's like he's got a camera on him, you know? I mean, he's still going to be working. It's not yeah. as if he's just going to be like, well, you know, I'm just going to cater to the cameras, and instead of being in the playbook tonight, I'm going to make an omelet and try to look cool. Right? Like, what are we doing? Play some video games. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get my Kyler Murray on, you know? Let's play some Call of Duty. Let's play some Call. Let's get, uh, let's get some, uh, what was uh, that? A Fortnite. Fortnite, yep. yeah. I used to have Fortnite Fridays with my nephews when I lived on the West Coast right there. We'd get together. We'd play online. And those jerks never told me how to play. <laughs> well, duh, you got to learn on your own. Eddie, I'm like, how, what do you do? How do you? They're like, I don't know. You just kind of do it. I'm like, great, like cool, thing, thank you. you know? thank, yeah, the, the thing. thing, you just move around, you just aim, shoot, I don't know. I'm like, what's this whole building thing? You're building stuff around you, I can't even get to you. They're like, oh, you know, that's more advanced. <laughs> You're not on our level yet. <laughs> they didn't show me how to play at all, they set me up for failure. But uh, yeah, with Anthony Richardson, if he were to be featured on the second season of Quarterback, as a fan, I'd be very interested to see it, especially his season. I, I think we've always spent our, our time talking about who's going to do the best as the rookie quarterback, but whose rookie quarterback season is the most compelling? Now, we might be a bit biased because Anthony Richardson is here in Indianapolis. Like, let's let's just do role reversal. Let's say C.J. Stroud somehow was the quarterback here in Indianapolis. You know what I mean? Are you saying it's Anthony Richardson, the Texans QB, right? Like, so sometimes your rooting interest affects your judgment, but try to be as unbiased as possible. Who has the most compelling storyline as a rookie quarterback? Just go with the top ones. Uh, you got Bryce Young, former Heisman winner. You know, Alabama, small in stature. Can he take a lick and keep on ticking? That sort of thing. It's going to be very compelling. C.J. Stroud going from stud receivers at the Ohio State to dud receivers right now with the Texans largely. In comparison, that's it's night and day. That's compelling. Or Anthony Richardson, lack, utter lack of reps, seasoning, experience. <laughs> but he's got this ability, and he's got a, a good head coach now that's had a lot of success working with very different styles of quarterback in the NFL. That's a compelling story. What's the most compelling to you, Eddie? I don't want to sound biased by saying Anthony Richardson, um, but that's the route I'm going to have to go here because when you look at Bryce Young, for example, he doesn't have competition for that QB1 spot. He's already got it locked up. Frank Reich announced it yesterday that he is the QB1. He will be out there week one starting for the Carolina Panthers. So it's like, okay, 
there's not a really a whole lot there from a storyline perspective other than the fact that can he hold up the course of a 17-game season in the NFL, which I, I'm pretty sure he can. So, like, that's the only real major question. I guess with you could make an argument or a case for Will Levis, like, he's the guy that got passed on and fell out of the first round. Yes, I like where you're going with this. Goes to Tennessee. Uh-huh. He has Derrick Henry. And, Underdog story. Yeah, and everyone's looking at Malik Willis right now because – uh, you know, he's entering the second year in the NFL, and all reports so far out of Nashville have been that he looks really good, and he's that he's taken a second step. So uh, he's taken a step so far, going to year number two. So uh, there's competition, I guess, for that backup QB spot. So I guess you can make a case for Will Levis, and then of course there's CJ Stroud, like you've already highlighted. But I think the most fascinating. Just like during the pre-draft process, I think the most fascinating storyline out of the rookie quarterbacks would be Anthony Richardson. I am going to go with, and I might surprise you on this one, I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud. And I'll tell you why. It's compelling when, uh, and I think this is the way it's going to play out. Not rooting for it, but I think it will, especially rookie season. I think C.J. Stroud is going to go from monster production in college to mammoth struggles initially in the NFL. You just can't go from the type of talent he had to its role reversal. Like, think about his talent, the supporting cast at Ohio State. They had the advantage almost every time they went and took the football field. There are a couple of exceptions. Georgia was an exception. Okay, like there are very few exceptions where the other team had more talent. And now it is the exact opposite with the Houston Texans. And so, chronicling... A big-name quarterback. There's no doubt C.J. Stroud has a bigger name than Anthony Richardson. He's put up bigger numbers. He's been around longer in college. He's been on a bigger stage. There's no doubt. And so the bigger-name quarterback struggling initially, and you're seeing that as the series plays out where he's taking his licks, he's trying to get in the playbook, maybe he gets frustrated, he loses his cool. I think that, we always like a, a rags-to-riches story. There's something compelling about a riches-to-rags story as well. And I, I do. I think that's the way the rookie season's going to play out for You CJ. said rags-to-riches. It made me think of the song. Have you heard of that one? I don't know. Is it a, Does it have a house beat behind it? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Is it reggaeton? Are you a reggaeton guy, Eddie? No, it's more of a hip-hop. It's metal. Ah, shit. Rap. I was hoping it was. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. You have By to, Lil Tecca. You have to dust that off for us. I know Tech Nine. I don't know a little Tech. <laughs> <laughs> Tech Nine, very underrated rapper. Very underrated. I can't say that I've heard of Tech Nine until oh, that. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're not investigating Tech Nine over there. I'm about to do myself a bigger disservice by willingly admitting this. Yeah. Uh, you know how you started off last segment talking about like Will Ferrell and you were watching the SNL skit? Yeah, yeah, you? yeah. You haven't seen that? I don't watch SNL. Oh, I haven't seen SNL for a long time. I don't. I've never watched SNL ever. Nope. Not like one skit. Nothing. Well, not willingly. You've had to have seen numerous skits. I've maybe. seen skits because people have shown them to me, but I've never willingly gone on YouTube or something. He's like, "Hey, S- just search Saturday Saturday Night Live and watch past episodes." Nope. Or I, yeah. go over where they're on streamed. I don't know. Have you seen the Cowbell episode? Nope, I think the, or the only, skit. I mean, yeah, no. yeah. I think the I think the one skit I have seen 
that I can recall is the Peyton Manning SNL. Oh, and that was tremendous. Yeah. The, like the little kids. Uh, did you see the Tim Tebow one where uh, Jason Sudeikis acts like he's Jesus? <laughs> Does that ring a bell at all? Uh, no. Oh, do you got to see? Okay, there's two on your list. Okay. Eddie, these are must-sees. Have to see them. Have to. I don't care if you don't want to. You got to see them. <laughs> this is your penance. Uh, you got to see the skit with uh, the cowbell where Will Ferrell is acting like the guy in Blue Oyster Cult, um, playing the cowbell obnoxiously. Christopher Walken is tremendous in that one. And you have to see some other people would throw in like many other suggestions. But just off the top of my head, you got to see that one. And you got to see the Tim Tebow one where um, Jason Sudeikis is Jesus and he's in the Broncos locker room. It, it was hilarious. It was absolutely what you're saying about Peyton Manning with the kids. And like, he's, how would you describe it? He's like this, you know, like street savvy, like cussing guy that's out for blood trying to win. And these little kids, it's like the, I don't forget. Was it the, uh, What's the? Was it the Boys and Girls Club or like United Way or something You're like that? You're asking the wrong person. Oh, it was tremendous. But he was just like out for blood trying to win, and he's uh, trying to coach up these little kids. It was very funny. I very just funny. got sent a uh, YouTube clip uh, for an SNL skit. What is it? I don't know. You don't know? No context? Oh, it's the cowbell. You got to see. Eddie, I'm telling you, man, I don't want to oversell this, and you watch it, and you're like, yeah, hey, it was good. Dude, it is absolutely top shelf. If you don't laugh at that, something's wrong with you. You got a good sense of humor. All right, coming up next, Eddie will have an SNL uh, reaction for us. <laughs> and I will. I, I There's something that is overrated and completely underrated. It's not a, a player. It's not a position. They are qualities if you will. I'll discuss that with you around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. So, Eddie, um... I think there's something that's very underrated, something that's very overrated, especially in the NFL. You can play this game with other sports as well. But it's been on my mind ever since that we uh, talked to Nate Atkins from the Indy Star. He was tremendous at the beginning of this hour. Where um, he was talking about Anthony Richardson being inaccurate. A lot of uh, accuracy concerns in camp. Um, here's step one. That might be the last thing I want to hear. <laughs> like, there are other things. Think about a rookie quarterback, Eddie. Well, he's, he's having a hard time grasping the playbook. Well, he's having a hard time reading coverage, right? Like, there are things that are not ideal. I look at it like this. There's so much to do as a quarterback in the NFL. Accuracy has to be a given. It, it has to be almost like muscle memory as if you're a shooter in basketball. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much to do with... Calling the play, maybe checking out of the play, reading the coverage, uh, knowing where to go with the football. You got to do all of this stuff before you deliver a pass. 
the last thing you can do after all of that is just throw in an accurate pass. You know what I mean? Like, that's got to be a given. And if this is a red flag already, that greatly concerns me. Now, let me talk you off the ledge a little bit because Josh Allen of the Bills, he started off, he was incredibly inaccurate for a season plus, right? Like a season and a half. He was very inaccurate. And now he's a very accurate quarterback. He's worked his butt off, done a lot of drills, worked with quarterback whisperers, the whole thing. So it can happen. But when you're like, you know, it's a recurring theme, the accuracy issues, that gets me worried right away. And when you call yourself a ball placement specialist in the pre-draft process and interviews, hashtag not good. (laughs) Ball placement specialist, huh? That's what he called himself, yeah. Wow. You don't remember that? No, I don't remember the. Yeah, he called himself a ball placement specialist. Do you have the audio of that? That has got to be a drop, man. Uh, hold on. Let's see if I can. F- I'll have to find it. Okay. But this is where we take it a step further. I think there's something that's highly overrated and a quality that's highly underrated. And this might sound radical at first, but you're going to have to hear me out. What is greatly underrated, and you're going to hear me on this one, Consistency. That's underrated. Where it's the highlight plays are what we ooh and ah over. Like, did you see that? He did a somersault into the end zone. That sort of thing. Here's where we might part ways. Here's where you might initially disagree with me, but let me explain. You know what's overrated? Highlight plays. That's overrated. Now, I'm not telling you there's no value in them. There's great value. But if... It isn't accompanied with consistency. That's going to come back to bite you. A great example is Lamar Jackson. Highlight plays galore. Tremendous talent. He's done some things where my jaw has hit the floor. Like, how in the world did he just do that? But then, what doesn't make SportsCenter is if it's third and seven, he's got an open receiver and just misses the guy. Consistency is key. You gots to have it. And although it won't lead SportsCenter, if you have a nice pass on third and four to move the chains, that's what it takes to win. The highlight plays are great. Don't get me wrong. But if the quarterback is inconsistent, like going back to what Nate was saying with, with Anthony Richardson, and again, I know, he's a rookie. I get it. I'm not expecting a finished product just yet. So make sure you... You understand that I understand that. But if I you say, understand that you understand that. I'm glad that you understand that I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Anthony Richardson, he makes some plays that make you say, wow, that's why they drafted him in the top five. That's great. It can't be followed up with, whoa, that was a bit outside, right? It can't be like that. Patrick Mahomes, great example. Patrick Mahomes made many highlight plays in the postseason earlier this year. I can remember a handful off the top of my head. On one wheel, the huge scramble in the Super Bowl on the final drive before the garbage defensive holding penalty. There are many throws on one leg against the Jags where he's moving around a little bit, finds a guy right over the middle against the Bengals. Same thing, buy-in time, many highlight plays. What we overlook is his great consistency. 
He completed over 70% of his passes in the postseason alone. Over 70% in the playoffs. When he's facing the best competition. It's not just about the highlight throw and that one touchdown pass. It's like, if he's not moving the chains on third and four, third and five consistently, they're not winning at all. And so, that's what I think. I think that consistency is largely glossed over and greatly underrated. You're not going to be scrolling Twitter and see these consistent plays that are not jaw-dropping being highlighted. What you will see are all these highlight plays. and like The game is way longer than a couple of highlight plays. Think how short highlight plays last. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't last very long. There's a whole game out there, like 30-plus minutes. You got the ball, Eddie. You can't just take out a couple of 10-second plays and be like, this guy's unbelievable. He's an all-pro. It's like, no, no, no. You're not getting the full picture. you got to be consistent. I love the highlight plays. Don't get me wrong. But consistency is what ends up winning more times than not. I think the part that you just nailed there about Patrick Mahomes that we forget about is like, I don't think we give him enough credit at the fact that he is a great game changer, but he is also a terrific game manager. That's right. He knows how to manage the game when he's t- when he knows when his defense needs a break, he'll slow things down, methodically move their way down the field. He knows when they have to score quick, they'll score quick. I mean, he is just it's just one of one. Like it's just it's just like hard to put into words and describe the kind of talent that Patrick Mahomes is just because he can do a variety of different things. He can be, he can go out there and he can get you in the end zone in three plays, four plays if you want it. But he's also smart enough to know that, Hey, that's not how we win games. And sometimes it takes a 10 to 12 play drive. And that's the part of his game that gets overlooked so much. I think that you could play a game, Eddie, where watch the plays from Mahomes that are consistent, that are important but will not be on a highlight show. You know, like like really pay attention where it's, you know, third and four, and he just he buys a little bit of time, he moves to his right a little bit, and he hits his running back, they move the chains, right? And you could play this game where you're like, that was an important play, mm-hmm. but that will not be featured in any highlight package at all. And I'm telling you, you will count play after play after play after play. That's what makes him so great. It's not just a left-handed hook shot. <laughs> like He's yeah. a basketball player into the end zone. It's that consistency. That's where you got to see Anthony Richardson. That's where I worry. I don't expect him to be Mahomes in, in week one, right, if he's even out there. Uh, but you can't just give me, oh, man, this one throw. Holy cow, he threw it 65 yards. Well, where did he do the next five? Well, he missed three of the throws, right? Like It's like, well, we're getting nowhere. If you can't be consistency, you're going nowhere fast. <laughs> this is how it works out. All right, plenty of this stuff to come up. Um, we've got Laura Overton coming Lara. up next. Lara. Lara. Like, yeah, Lara. Laura. Lara. Lara Overton from the Colts. She's on the way. We got a lot to discuss. Hang with us. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan today. I want to welcome in 
Lara Overton, host, producer, reporter with the Colts, joins us here on the show. You know, Lara, we'll get to the Colts in a second, but uh was just talking to Eddie. He was with us today, and he's not a big Saturday Night Live guy. He's never seen, like, the cowbell skit uh, with Christopher Walken and, uh, and Will Ferrell. Are you an SNL fan or kind of like Eddie and you haven't seen much of this stuff? I am an SNL fan, but like kind of like the glory days of like peak <laughs> SNL, like that time period you're referring to. Like, and I was an SNL watcher like back in the days of like the Church Lady and like you know uh, what was like the the self help guy. You know. Um, oh yeah, they, you're that, good oh, enough. Yeah, yeah. You're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Like, yeah. Like I remember, like that was like the big deal. Like if you were like. Uh, having a sleepover, it was like a Saturday and your parents let you stay up late to like watch Saturday Night Live. Like so much of the comedy was like lost on me because I'm was too young to really understand it. But oh man, I loved SNL, especially like uh, the cheerleader, Sherry O'Terry and Will Ferrell. Uh-huh. Remember that whole oh, yeah. thing? Molly Shannon. Um, yeah. When, all of those things. I absolutely loved it. I haven't watched it in a long, long time, but uh, I do. I do appreciate some SNL uh Definitely um, references. Uh, you know, I'm very much like you. I haven't seen it in a long time, but the era that you're talking about, some great moments. I remember Michael Jordan uh, being on that, like yeah. looking in the mirror and gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> it was just hilarious. Or, very or like when when Chris when Chris Farley was uh, Matt Foley, the inspirational uh, speaker. Yeah, you know, living in a van down by the river. That was incredible stuff. Now, what do you think of a guy like Eddie Garrison, who's a tremendous young man, but he hasn't seen any of this stuff, right? Like nothing. I think we need to to educate Eddie. I think he just needs to be a little bit more cultured. And, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't appreciate it to the degree that we do. But I do think he'll be entertained. I'm confident in that. Okay, maybe you can add to our growing list. I said there are two skits he's got to see because he saw the Peyton Manning one with the little kids, which was hysterical. But I said, you got to see the cowbell one. You got to see that with Christopher Walken. And I went with the Tim Tebow one where Jason Sudeikis is Jesus and he's in the Broncos locker room. That one was hilarious (laughs) to me. Is there one that you would recommend? I need to go back and watch that one. Oh, you'll love that. that I don't remember that one specifically. Yeah. Um, You know, I was always, I loved a good, like when they did a weekend update with Norm McDonald, there Uh were some epic like weekend (laughs) updates. And I can't think of like one in particular, but I love those. And I think that the weekend update is an element of SNL that has stood the test of time. Like now with, um, is it Colin Jost and Michael Che? I think now, like the way that they've evolved that, I think has just been incredible. Um, I... I was always a sucker for the for the Spartan cheerleaders. Like I just uh, just any of those bits, anything with that tandem of Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry will have me like in the foulest mood, worst day of all time, and I will be cracking up laughing. I love it. That's tremendous. Uh, those are tremendous recommendations. That's uh, top shelf by you, uh, Lara Overton, with us here from the Colts, uh, joining us on the fan. I'm going to shift to the to Indy here. What are what's your reaction to? Jim Irsay putting the tweet out there about the running back market as a whole, and more importantly, how that affects Jonathan Taylor as a ripple effect to that. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if it really affects anything any beyond the the conversations that have been had um, 
internally. I think, obviously, you know, Mr. Ursay always does a great job of staying apprised and using his platform um, within the league to voice his uh, opinions and his uh, positions on different things. But I don't think that it really created any sort of um, greater impact on really anything else aside from where things already were. Did you, um, what was your takeaway, like, forget about Jonathan Taylor for a second. Did you uh, agree with Jim Irsay uh, with what he's talking about in terms of the, the running back market as a whole and not renegotiating any part of the CBA? Uh, what was your personal takeaway from it? Well, I don't know that I, I don't have enough of a in-depth knowledge of kind of all of, obviously, you know, Mr. Irsay is so involved in those negotiations and has such great knowledge of the, not just the current CBA, but all of them in, in his tenure as an owner within the league. So I don't have enough, you know, understanding of exactly all of the entities within it. And this is a huge conversation broader, you know, within running backs, you know, across the league. I think that one of the things is you just, you always want, uh, you always want to have, the most exciting players on the field. And you also want to be sure that they are, you know, feeling and that that they are, you know, valued within their, their organizations. And so I do think that it's a, it is an interesting evolution and how the running back position has been perceived um, and how it has been valued. And you hope just kind of when you take, I think that right now we're in such a, we're looking at a very micro period of time with it. It's, you know, the last few seasons is what it is. And then I think it'll help to have a bit of a broader perspective. And I think everyone right now is a bit knee-jerk to the whole reaction. There's a bit of a domino effect when you see what's going on with with Saquon Barkley, uh, with Dalvin Cook, obviously, being on the free agent market. And so I think it'll take some time. I, I want to say that, as we look larger scale and, and hopefully looking long term, that you hope that things kind of even out. There are always these trends in the league with how different things are perceived and how they're acted upon. And I think that when we get into it's also a big conversation right now because there aren't games to talk about. So I think there's even heightened attention on it. So hopefully, you know, by the time that the season gets here and certainly as we get into the season, things level out a bit. Yeah, how about um, when, when you look at Anthony Richardson heading into his rookie season, and when you've seen him, it's tough to gauge what type of season it's going to be when it's so early on with the off season and camp and all of that, but what are you hopeful for to see from Anthony Richardson, and what do you think is realistic in terms of production in his rookie campaign? I, I think what you hope to see is, you know, uh, just in – incredible pocket presence, growing confidence, growing mastery of the playbook, and also a an understanding of not having to do too much or not being forced to do too much, making sure that he is obviously playing to his strengths and able to showcase his athleticism, but also confident in using the assets and the weapons that are surrounding him. I think that's one of the things that you hope that as a rookie, they're able to lean on the rest of that support system around them, the rest of the guys within their offense to help them find success and then also help them in the times in which they are not successful, quickly figure out the adjustments they need to make 
to not make those same mistakes or improve upon some of those struggles. And one of the things we heard from Chris Ballard when he met with the media on Tuesday was one of the assets that Anthony Richardson has outside of this just tremendous skill set that he has is such an even keel demeanor um, and his ability just just overall that he's a very mature poise and presence about him and Chris is really confident that that will help Anthony in terms of navigating the inevitable highs and lows that there are within any rookie season, but especially a rookie quarterback type of season. And then in terms of production, I think that it's a little too soon to jump all the way to that degree because you've got to know what games he's starting in, how many games he's going to start in, if he's going to start the beginning of the season, when he's coming in, is Gardner Minshew starting? So I think that there are throughout this preseason, it's going to be very interesting to see how they balance out the amount of playtime for all three quarterbacks. And then also, which quarterbacks are with which units, who's with the ones, who's with the twos. There was a fair mix that you saw just on day one. And I think that those will be some things over the course of the next three weeks that will help give us an indication of how soon Anthony Richardson can be a starter, and then exactly what you're going to see when he does have that opportunity. And, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, kind of uh, feeding the PR propaganda whatsoever, but there is a great dynamic on, on in terms of all three of those quarterbacks right now. They are all really helping, helping one another get better. And Gardner Minshew said it yesterday that he's like, I hope, Anthony is great, yeah. so that I can get even better. Yep. And I just thought that was such a great testament to how Gardner is approaching his role and how much they're feeding off of the very positive competitiveness that there is within this group. What I think will be probably the earliest indication of truly where Anthony Richardson is kind of within this offense and within this playbook is when we get to those joint practices against the Chicago Bears. She's Lara Overton from the Colts here. I thought the same thing about Gardner. I thought that was just a tremendous comment where it's like, I hope Anthony's great, and that means I got to be even better. Like That is such a great attitude. How about this? Who are you rooting for the most? Meaning this, I don't want you to think of it like, well, Anthony Richardson, because if he's good, then that's going to make the biggest impact. Think of it more like this. It's, I think more circumstantial not not really like what's going to impact success but think about the circumstances of Shaq Leonard coming back from numerous surgeries major injuries back related think about Jonathan Taylor we talk about the running back market and how the pay doesn't come close to the production he's coming off the ankle injury is it Anthony Richardson who's doubted by many he didn't have a whole lot of college experience like just based on any of those players or anybody else, like who are you pulling for the most to just have a strong season based on whatever they're faced with? I don't, there's certainly no wrong answer to that. And there are a ton of great options within this roster of guys who are one, so easy to root for guys who have overcome adversity to get to the point that they are and who have struggled with different variables. Um, I'm going to give you, I think I'm going to give you a, a couple Zach Leonard, absolutely one of them. And that is not just because of, obviously, he's the maniac. He's the takeaway king. Uh, he, you know, he's former defensive rookie of the year. It's not just because all of the 
injuries that he has overcome and all of the adversity that he has faced to rally back. And I mean, I thought it was incredibly encouraging how much he was able to do yesterday after doing nothing during the OTA minicamp period. When you heard his reaction to the crowd and that reception that he got, he was asked by James Boyd about it in media after. And he said he got goosebumps walking out there on the field. And I thought that was a really clear indication of how much Shaq Leonard's presence means to this team. And I'm not even saying that he has to get back necessarily to all of those numbers necessarily and chase all of those, you know, stats that you're used to. I just think he makes a difference even if he is just, you know, consistent and creates some turnovers and just who he is on the field and the degree of attention that he commands from opposing offenses. He's one of the greatest difference makers across the board for this roster. Second guy I'm rooting for like crazy Kenny Moore, uh, again, a guy who struggled with finding his fit within a Gus Bradley defense, didn't necessarily have the type of season he wanted last year. He came in and had just such a revitalized uh, energy when he came back in the spring. So much, just felt he felt so wise and mature and really felt like he used the offseason to invest a ton in his own personal growth. And he's going to need to exude that because this is a very young cornerback group. And I think that Kenny will set the tone for that unit. And so I think that that comes in terms of not only uh, the production that he has, you know, at nickel, but it comes in how he practices, how he conducts himself, how he does all of those things. I think that's it. And then number three for me, and this is a huge one, it is Drew Ogletree because he was the stud of camp last season and where he was progressing was ahead of where Jelani Woods was at, you know, that point in camp when Drew tore that ACL and was out for the remainder of the year. That was a pretty devastating blow for this offense because Drew had been making plays all over the field. And if you look at the weapon that Jelani emerged into being, it kind of gives you an indication of, man, if Drew had just stayed consistently on the trajectory he set in camp, that guy would have been, and he would have been a monster in the in the red zone. So that's another guy, and that'll be a guy I think that'll be an interesting storyline uh, to follow over the course of the preseason. Really hoping to see him on the field when we get to Buffalo, because that was that only preseason appearance for him last year, and I think that that could be a big full circle moment for him to get back if he's able to get out there, make some big plays in Buffalo. No, that's great stuff, and. Uh... Look, before you go, Lara, I noticed how you said uh, goosebumps. I also say the same thing. Uh, have you ever said chill bumps? That's something Michael Jordan used to say. Have you ever gone with that? Um, so I, I have heard chill bumps, but I'm a goosebump per- person. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've also heard like goose pimples, which is an oh, interesting really? one. And I don't, think, I don't think quite rolls off the tongue the same. But yeah, I'm a goosebumps <laughs> kind of person. And if Shaq Leonard's saying goosebumps, I'm on goosebumps. I'm team goosebumps if 5-3 is saying it that way. I hear you. And now Shaq is also team jitterbugs. Like, I think that's awesome. I typically go butterflies. Eddie goes nerves. What do you do of the three? Butterflies, jitterbugs, or nerves? Oh... I, see, I think it's it's perceived differently. I would use nerves differently from butterflies. Like butterflies to me is kind of like a good, excited type of like feeling. Like you know, um, 
And then nerves, I feel like is a little bit more of like a like a uh, pressure kind of under the gun, maybe type. So I would use them in different scenarios. I don't know that I would use them interchangeably, if that makes sense. No, I hear you. You know, it, and I feel like uh, it's a it's a big uh, it's a big ask if you don't say y'all, and you're like, you know, I'm just gonna start saying y'all today. Y- you feel like I, I don't know if I can pull this off right. You know, it's a major commitment <laughs> it's a, it's a, for it to be second nature there. Uh, no, I agree. I was just in Canada, and I tried to I tried to jump on the the train of saying a. And I uh, couldn't do it because it just came off as like the weird American who's trying to really uh, jump in and, you know, get cultured on some maple syrup and Labatt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, hey, Lyra, great stuff. Really appreciated the visit. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon sometime. I look forward to it. Talk to you guys soon. Have a great day. All right, you too. There she is. Lara Overton, host, producer, reporter with the Colts, joining us here on The Fan there's a lot of stuff right there, Eddie. By the way, I hope one of the most important things that you took away from that, more SNL material for you potentially if you would like to indulge. I will try to indulge. I will for sure watch the Cowbell one for you. Oh, you have to see that. You have to see it. I highly recommend the Tim Tebow one where Tim Tebow's in the locker room when he played with the Broncos and uh, Jason Sudeikis is in that one. Very funny. Very funny stuff. But uh, I, I... I'm curious what you say to this, Eddie. Who are you rooting for the most? I love this question with the Colts. And think of it this way, because the easy answer is, oh, Anthony Richardson. If he plays great, then he's going to make the greatest difference for the Colts this season, also going forward. But I think just based on what they're facing, you know, Anthony Richardson doubted by many, doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Shaq Leonard, numerous surgeries. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was injured last year, under 900 yards rushing, the running back market being what it is. Who would you like to see, and there's no wrong answer, just do really well because maybe they're faced with a a hardship or some doubters, some haters out there. Who's your guy? I would probably have to go with Shaq. I am too. That's my guy, yeah. Just because of how important he was to their success in 2021, like – they're not a fringe playoff team because without him because of the way he has the innate ability to force turnovers, create turnovers, make things happen, inject life within the Colts roster on the sideline because when you say the offense is struggling and he goes out there and he does the peanut Tillman punch fumble mm-hmm. recovery, goes out there, makes a pick or strip sack or something because he does all those things. Uh, it just injects life throughout the sideline, and those are the kind of players that you need on your team, and that's what they were missing a lot last year with that defense is the defense was fine for the majority of the season, but then they just got tired. They weren't creating turnovers, so I'm going with Shaq Leonard as the answer here. Yeah, that's my answer too, and um, I mean, you think about Shaq Leonard's story as well. There was a great piece about uh, the hardships he faced growing up, and one of the biggest ones was he was so incredibly close to his brother. Like, his little kids, they slept in the same bed, and he's he's his guy. And um, his brother passed away. His brother died, and it was this huge, huge thing in Shaq Leonard's life. And then you couple that with major injuries and everything that goes into that where it's not just a physical thing. It's a big time mental thing where you feel useless 
You feel like you should be out there on the field helping your guys and you can't and it hurts your pride and it becomes this whole mental thing as well. And so like losing his brother, going through the injuries, going through all that stuff. I hope he has a sensational year. I hope he's back to peak form and all the work that he put in more than pays off. He's my guy for sure. Jonathan Taylor's agent is back at it on Twitter. Um, Uh Uh-oh. About 17 minutes ago. So around the NFL tweeted something about Colts owner Jim Irsay feels running backs calls for, quote, another negotiators in a pay or, quote, inappropriate. Ian Rappaport quotes tweets that story, and he says, hope this relationship can be fixed, dot, dot, dot. Jonathan Taylor's agent, I doubt it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, man, is it's just it's not a smart tweet. That's the bottom line. It doesn't help anything related to the Colts situation. It's like, think about this. Really put it in perspective, wherever you work. You know, think about us, Eddie. We're working at a radio station right now. What if, you know... I don't, I don't think can't I'm, this is on the fly. This is on the fly comparison. Let's just say on air guys like around the country are, are being dramatically underpaid, you know, where and this is a hypothetical because think of the top guys like Cowherd and, you know, like Stephen A. And like these dudes are getting McAfee. huge money. McAfee. Right. But just imagine if the top guys were not getting the value that they they actually provide. You know, they're not getting paid an adequate sum. Um, and then you and I, we're hopeful. We're really, really hopeful that we can get our, our, our just due, right? Like we can get the, the compensation that we deserve, even though the top guys aren't getting it. And then the, the program director or the operations manager at this very station just goes on in this rant about, we're not changing anything, just so you guys know. Like... That would be depressing. That would be just another punch to the gut based on the previous punch that all of your peers are getting when the top guys aren't getting paid. Like that's how it lands. That's the ripple effect. So I don't I don't know how you don't see that before you hit send. Yeah. And here's my follow-up question after the I doubt it tweet from his agent just minutes ago. Um, could there be a request for Jonathan Taylor to be traded coming? I mean, you never my- know. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's not the one thing, though, in the Colts' favor. It's not like Jonathan Taylor is going to get traded to another team and they're just going to empty out the wallet for him. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's just it's where the market is right now. Bingo. But what I keep coming back to, Eddie, though, is if you don't have the actions of paying a player, at least have the flowery words of showing that you value him. And what what Jim Ursay put out there can be summarized as tough deal with it. This is the deal that you signed. I don't want to hear your belly aching is essentially what Jim Ursay is getting to. <laughs> it's like well, that's not going to land well with Jonathan Taylor at all. So you at least have to have the words if you don't have the action. So the Colts have a lack of action in terms of paying Jonathan Taylor, and they have a lack of words when Jim Mercer is saying, tough, this is the reality, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and like to think about just two years ago or two off-seasons ago after he had the rushing crown, 
Jonathan Taylor was being called the next Edgerin James, and he wanted to be up in the ring of honor, said Jim Irsay, like Edgerin James and the rest of the great Colts that have played uh, for the organization. And now you look at this, it's like, where in the heck did this go sideways? Yeah. Because it's like, it is so fast and so quick. I know, man. It's crazy. It's wild how it goes. All right, we got a lot to do. We got to get you some Gardner Minshew sound. I love what he had to say about hoping Anthony Richardson is great. I've got a story about um, Skittles for you before we get out of here, Eddie. This is the stuff you got to have. You can't go on with your day without this. Uh, We'll have that at the tail end. Coming up next, we turn our attention to Ben Arthur. He covers the AFC South. There's a lot to get to. We've been focusing, obviously, on the Colts today, but C.J. Stroud stinking it up. (laughs) Uh, What are we looking at with the the Titans? Will the throw Levis, Malik Willis, any signs of progress there? We'll we'll look at the AFC South with Ben Arthur and those overrated Jaguars, as I see it. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. want to welcome in Ben Arthur, AFC South reporter for Fox Sports. You can also find him on the Fox Sports app on top of foxsports.com. And the NFL on Fox. Do you rule Fox at this point? Is it Brady followed by Ben Arthur right now? What's going on there, Ben? You're everywhere. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that no, that's way too much, uh, way too much praise uh, to, to kind of be in, in the same conversation as Tom Brady, who, uh, who who I guess hasn't even joined us yet, um, but uh, but very humbled by the by trying to put me in the same breath as Tom, but but excited to be on with you guys. Yeah, for sure, man. Good to be here with you as well. How about this? This series quarterback on Netflix, right? They're looking for the next trio of quarterbacks that are going to be featured on this. And there are some of the big names that have turned it down. Who has the most compelling story for a series like quarterback? Look at these rookies in the AFC South. Is it C.J. Stroud? Is it Anthony Richardson? Is it Will Levis? If you're Netflix and you could land one of the three, who would be your choice? Oh, that's a good question. I think of the three, I, I would I would probably say Anthony Richardson is number one just because of all the intrigue about him, right? Kind of what he is as an athlete, uh, a generational from a you know a physical standpoint, from an athletic standpoint at the quarterback position. Um, And and I think he's just, you know, a really kind of unique person. Um, I think we've kind of seen that come across in the interviews he's done and then a feature I recently did on him um, earlier this month, Uh, just kind of about his personality and kind of how he's wired. I think think Anthony Richardson would would be kind of number one of the AFC South QBs. But but I I think kind of Will Levis would kind of be up there too because I think – there are a lot of perceptions about him and kind of how he carries himself. And, um, and, and then obviously kind of what, what he dealt with at Kentucky, just in terms of what he was, uh, what in, in the 2021 season versus kind of what the pr- product was in 2022 when entering a situation in Tennessee where he's battling Tannehill and, and Malik Willis, uh, 
I think that would maybe be number two, honestly. Um, but, but yeah, Anthony Richardson, I'd have to say, is number one, would have to be number one on my list. When you look at Jacksonville, so they're the runaway favorite to win the AFC South. They also have about 40% of the money on BetMGM for them to win the most games of any team this season. So when you think about that, and are they overrated heading into this season? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. If maybe they're overrated. I, I mean, I don't think they're, they're going to be they're, they're truly in contention for a Super Bowl this year. Although I, I know for a fact that they kind of believe that, you know, based off of what they did last season and kind of year two with Doug Peterson and every, the whole shebang. I know that the A in-house, they believe that, but, but I'm still not ready to put them above like the, the Bengals um, and the Chiefs. I, I still think they're kind of a step below that. But look, I think they can close that gap really quickly. And I think as long as Trevor Lawrence continues that ascension we saw at the end of last season. We need to see him do what he did at the end of last year for a full season. If, if you remember, like the first half of last season was, was very inconsistent and, and the Jags weren't very good. And so I think Trevor is going to be really key for them kind of living up to that hype. Um, but yeah, I mean, they can win 11, 12 games for sure. But, but I think to, to be on the level uh, of the Chiefs and the Bengals, or even the Bills, maybe to a slightly lesser extent. I'm not sure I'm I'm quite ready to put them there yet um, because we haven't seen them out on the field. But but you know, getting a guy like having Calvin Ridley in the fold now, and and the clips I've seen, I haven't gotten down to Jacksonville yet. But man, he <laughs> if he looks anything you know like he has looked in practice man like having a number one receiver like that on top of a really good pass catching uh core for, for Trevor Lawrence I mean they're definitely poised to make noise I think right now it's just kind of how much noise they can make is is the big question in my mind he's Ben Arthur from Fox Sports joining us here on the fan how about a reasonable big surprise in the division would you say the Jags struggle the Titans win the division, the Colts surprise in a good way. Like what's the most reasonable big surprise, good or bad in your mind? Uh, hmm. Well, I, I think, well, first I, I would say is I think the Titans are going to be a lot better than people think. I don't think the gap with the Jaguars is as wide as people think. Uh, I think we have to remember, like it took, you know, all the injuries they had uh, to, to, you know, Josh Dobbs uh, kind of coming in. Ryan Tannehill was hurt at the end of the season. They had more than 80. They, they played more than 85 guys uh, for a second straight season. Uh, I, I think with the right health um, and, and if that O-line can hold up, I mean, this is still a very competitive team. I, I think this is still – a really great defense, particularly on that front. Um, their run game, obviously, with Derrick Henry still playing at a high level. He had over 1,500 rushing yards last season. He's still um, playing at a high level. And then adding DeAndre Hopkins to a uh, kind of an unproven pass-catching core, but, but Traylon Burks 
and Chigokonkwo, their second-year tight end, I think that's kind of a good little group to work with. And so I think the I think I would say is that the Titans are going to be a lot more competitive in the AFC South uh, with the Jaguars than people think. And I think it's going to be a tight race. I don't think the Jaguars are just going to run away with the division. I, I truly think Tennessee is going to give um, Jacksonville a run for its money. Man, when you look at the running backs in this division, I was just thinking, Ben, like Derrick Henry is the rock star. But if you start to think about who's going to be the most productive, Damian Pierce had a really strong rookie season. Jonathan Taylor had a a monster season the year before last. And then, you know, uh, you also uh, you think about Travis Etienne, who's a talented guy. Like, Who do you think eventually will be the most productive running back in the AFC South this season? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think with running backs, you just kind of, you have to kind of take it season by season. Um, and, and then, so this season, I mean, Derek is obviously, as you said, is kind of number one, but I think Damian Pierce is poised for a monster season. Uh, I think the Texans have by far the best O-line uh, in this division. We saw the extension. They just gave the right tackle, Titus Howard. You know, Laramie Tunsil is one of the best left tackles. Uh, in football, he's the pi- highest-paid O-lineman in, in league history. Um, they, they traded for Shaq Mason, who's been one of the best guards in the league for a really long time. Uh, Juice, Juice Scruggs, their second-round pick, is supposed to be the starting center. Like, I really like the group they have up front, and uh, I, they're going to depend. D'Amico Ryans, he's – kind of said it blatantly. I mean, they're really going to depend on the run game and looking at the personnel they have up front. I think Damian Pierce, as long as he can stay healthy, right? He, he played, he missed four games last year, but if he's healthy, um, I think he's going to have a monster year. So um, I think, you know, people should kind of have Damian Pierce circled in, in terms of production for, for the upcoming season. Well, Hey man, great stuff, Ben really enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget about me. As you're ascending to the top of the Fox ranks with all your fancy titles right now, you know, bring me along with you. For sure. I got you, man. (laughs) All right, man. We'll catch you later, Ben. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. There he is, Ben Arthur, AFC South reporter for Fox Sports. Again, I love this uh, rundown here. You can find him on Fox Sports, on the Fox Sports app. Also, FoxSports.com. That's not all. NFL on Fox. If it's got Fox on it, it's probably going to have Ben Arthur on it. It's the way it works out. Did a very good job. By the way, you giving me some crack research on old Zach Moss last season, Eddie. Like, what was this? What was he on pace for? Like 9,000 yards in 2022? (laughs) So if you just take the last four games he started in place of Jonathan Taylor where he was the guy, the running back, he had 333 yards rushing and averaging 17 carries a game. He averaged 4.8 yards per game as well. If you extend the yardage, the total yards out for a season, of course, I don't know if 4.8 is totally manageable across a 17-game season. But if you have, if you take the 333 divided by 4 and multiply it by 17, he would have <laughs> just over 1,400 yards rushing. Okay. Now, the first That's a lot thing, of numbers, so I'm sorry. I know. That was a lot. We had to carry numbers, divide. We were multiplying. I'm pretty sure we had to prorate. I don't remember. But – um. You got to be careful, and I know you know this. Yep. But you got to be careful with on pace for whether it's football, especially football, with a physical 
you know, wear and tear type sport. We hear this in baseball, which is not a physical sport. Well, this guy is on base to hit 65 home runs, and he ends up with 42. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I know you're not say- – but what is your takeaway with these numbers that he was on pace for? My takeaway is this. If Zach Moss can really put up those numbers with the statue of Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, and Sam Ellinger in there who's really not a NFL quarterback – I think there's room for him to be productive with Anthony Richardson if Jonathan Taylor were to miss time. Now, I believe it was Evan Hull, the sixth-round pick out of Northwestern uh, this past draft for the Colts. He was the RB1 yesterday. I don't know if it was Zach Moss getting split reps in there or not, but I believe I saw, uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, saying something that it was Evan Hull taking the RB1 snaps for the Colts. But long story short, if this... Jonathan Taylor's situation bleeds over into the start of the regular season. I don't think there's a reason to not feel comfortable knowing that the offensive line did improve the final four games in terms of run blocking and that there was production in the run game without Jonathan Taylor. I hear you. Listen, I hear you. The thing I would say is I keep coming back to it's going to be an uphill battle for either Jonathan Taylor or Zach Moss. Because, look, I'm far from knowing half as much as these defensive coordinators know. But if I'm a defensive coordinator in the league and I'm facing a rookie in, in Anthony Richardson, I, I'm making him beat me. Like, I am making him win the game by throwing the football consistently over and over and over and over again. And I'm betting as a rookie, he's going to slip up, he's going to misread a coverage, He's going to be an errant pass. He's going to rush something, right? Like, I think Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, they're going to be facing some eight-man boxes, you know? Because I'm saying, I know what Jonathan Taylor can do. He's proven himself in the NFL. Anthony Richardson hasn't proven anything. Not, like, in the NFL for sure. He hasn't proven a ton in college, right? So I'm definitely making that guy beat me. And so the trickle-down effect to the production of both JT and Moss. I think it's going to have an impact. I'm not saying that, hey, don't worry about it. He's a perfect, you know, replacement. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, hey, like, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to prove my point. It's like the reason why you can look at it from the perspective of Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard is that when you look at how Zach Moss produced last year when Taylor was out, it was comparable to what Taylor can do. So it's like, Okay, like I understand that Jonathan Taylor wants to secure the bag and get his money, but here's Zach Moss. He worked out last year with us, and we had Matt Ryan throwing passes. He's not nearly as mobile as Anthony Richardson, who can help alleviate some of the pressure in the box by keeping the defensive end on the end a little bit longer to open up a hole between the tackles. Well, and think about this too, Eddie, is you could get into this next level sort of game with – we always say this, you don't have to you don't pay the the proven running back top dollar because the next guy he might give you comparable production. I think sometimes we blow that out of proportion, but let's just stick with that. Well, I, I could argue this. You don't have to pay the top running back top dollar. You know what I mean? So if you look at Jonathan Taylor, I know what you laid it out very nicely what Zach Moss was on uh pace for. But he wasn't on pace for Jonathan Taylor's 2021 season. 
You know what I mean? Like Jonathan Taylor's a special guy. And you don't have to pay him way more than Zach Moss. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So you could take that into account and spin it that way too. And you have to also look at where Shane Steichen has been. He stops in Philly. He didn't. Ha- he had Miles Sanders. He was a leading rusher. And then they used Boston Scott. They used a variety of other different guys in the passing game. Didn't really get Miles Sanders involved in that aspect. So he's very, uh, I think, comfortable with using a rotational backfield and a committee approach. And you look at him back with the Chargers. He had Austin Eckler, but they were still rolling guys through in and out to spell Austin Eckler. So he comes from a lineage of using a committee approach. So I that's why I kind of expect yeah. this to probably happen down mm-hmm. the line. I don't know when because you hear Chris Ballard talk about it's a new coaching staff. It's a new coaching staff. Well, we were also won four games last year. So it's there's a lot of this that has to take into account as well, not in just, hey, Jonathan Taylor's a good player. Right. But we also won four games last year. Well, hey, man, that's something that, to keep an eye on. That's interesting where you think about the running back by committee approach. So you might see a little bit of that this season. But I could also argue that, look, Jonathan Taylor's better than Miles Sanders. So Agreed. The, for, the former Eagles running back, right? So if Jonathan Taylor was there in Philly the last couple of years, would he have Miles Sanders-type touches? Because uh, I'm guessing it would be more. But but to your point... Imagine, like how, though. Imagine yeah. Jonathan Taylor behind that Eagles O-line. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> we just put Come him on. in a worse mood if he's listening right now, right? Like, or Derrick Henry. Like, oh, oh, goodness. Gosh, yeah. Crazy. All right, we got a lot to do. I'm counting. We've got at least 19 things to do before the show ends. I'll get you the audio that I... I'm hugging this audio. I, I absolutely adore this audio. It's tremendous. Top shelf. Is it what we'll we talked about before the show? Like, and that too. <laughs> and that, I've got two audio cuts that I absolutely adore. Eddie's, Eddie has made you a lot of money. If you followed his picks, you are just cashing left and right. So you want to pay attention to what he has in store for his advice uh, today for you. So we'll get to that. I'm Brian. No, he's Eddie Garrison. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. No, he's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. Now, this is some of the audio that I absolutely love. This is Gardner Minshew yesterday talking about the quarterback room. Check it out. I'll tell you, for me, competitiveness isn't wanting him to be bad so I can be good. I want him to be great so I have to be even better. And that's how I think you have to see it is I don't want an easy competition. I want it as hard as possible. I want him to be so freaking good that I have to bring my level that much higher. Um, So I think, you know, we're all going to keep pushing each other. um, But at the end of the day, we're all just trying to win. That's a great attitude, man. That is awesome. I love hearing that. I love about, the voice, man. Yeah, he, he's got a great delivery as well. Talking about Anthony Richardson, obviously. I got a text here from one of my guys. This guy's name is Brian. You know all the upstanding uh, citizens. They're named Brian, Eddie. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not, but he texted me just a little bit ago, and he said he was at Colts camp yesterday, and there were some boos when Minshew threw his first incomplete pass. He threw one, one incomplete bow. Why does that not surprise me? I know. And he was like, listen, man, we don't need the boo birds. He's hoping Anthony Richardson starts week one, but we don't need to boo Minshew along the way. I completely agree with that. You, Eddie? I agree. I mean, if Richardson's not ready, he's not ready. you got to just trust the coaching staff at this point. It's a different regime than the previous. 
Yeah. Okay. So if you go rapid fire picks, I can get the other audio that we okay. both think is top shelf. This is Joey Votto of the Reds. He was on high heat and given some high heat to Chris Mad Dog Russo. This is hilarious. A couple yeah. of months ago, you said that Zach Greinke and I are a hall of very good ball players. I think Zach and I would agree. You may be right, but I get the gist of what's going on here. I know what you're doing. You're looking down on us. A couple small market Midwest ball players, just because we're not big city, just like you, Mr. New York City, Sirius XM radio star, Mr. National Television, ESPN star, with your Fifth Avenue ties and your crisp pocket squares, your tailored suits and your polished shoes and your hair, your perfectly coiffed Broadway hair. Must be nice to sit atop that Madison Avenue ivory tower looking down on us with those luscious locks. Not everyone can be the next Roger Peckinpah, Mad Dog. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're a disgrace. How great is that? Are you kidding me? I love oh, Joey Votto. I love so this new good. version of him. So good. All right, Eddie, hit the music for us. If I you don't know, have the please. music ready. I think we didn't Are have you time. Are you serious? I didn't think really? we did. I didn't oh, think we'd have time. I was time. all right. Okay, fine. No fancy intro. Just give us cold, hard facts so we can win cash. All right, Eddie, I got two. I'm going Kodai Senga for the New York Mets over five and a half Ks, and I'm going with a no-run first inning bet again, Ooh. going with the Guardians and the White Sox. I like this pitching matchup. Uh, Tanner Bybee has been really good for the Guardians and Dylan Cease on the mound for the White Sox. It feels naked. It feels naked with no music back know, there. You know? I like, know. I hope the picks have the same pizzazz. If not, it was the lack of music. JMV up next. Keep it locked right here on The Fan.